Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali. It's been a bit of a quiet week in terms of news, but a little bit louder in terms of game releases. So we are going to spend a lot of time talking about what we've been playing. And in order to do that, we've brought on, honestly, probably way too many people. <laughs> this is probably not going to be that uh, a bit unwieldy, but let's go through who's all here joining me today. Uh, we have George Foster. Hey, guys, what's up? Uh, Josh Torres. Ride on. I don't know what that's referencing. I think it's anime. No, it's oh. just, we're going to get into it, Dan. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Ruined out of my telly. <laughs> get excited. Uh, James Galizio. Teamwork makes the dream work. We have Chalman Wu. Please be excited. And Cullen Black. Be modded. Well, just don't be excited. How about that? So yeah, if you were paying attention, if you include my own, I just rattled off seven names. This is honestly probably not smart for a podcast that's easy to listen to, but we're going to do it anyway because we live on the edge. (laughs) Yes. So if any of you, if anyone listening has listened to our yearly end of the year RPG of the year cast, uh, this might end up having a similar vibe where we just have a whole bunch of people trying to like crowd the space, but I will do the best I can to keep things in line and orderly and listenable. So. Obviously, within the last few days, we've had a, a few game releases. We've had Monster Hunter Stories 2 release. We've had East 9 release on PC. We've got a couple upcoming game releases that we might or might not be able to talk about. I forget exactly the specific details. And, of course, there are a few things that we can talk about on the news front. Uh, so, in order to start this off, I am going to give Cullen, since he has been absent from this recording the longest, he has the longest list of potential titles that he could kick off the conversation with based on what he's been playing. So I don't know if you have a preference for something that you've played recently or something that you got to a while ago, but here, I'm putting you on the spot. Okay, so... What do you want to talk about? I guess a bit of a preface. So um, one of the reasons why I haven't been on the podcast in a little bit is because I've been dealing with a moving situation. I'm currently in a temporary uh, residence. Uh, I'm not going to get too into that, but that's kind of like the reason I have a big list is because I haven't been on the podcast in a bit. So I've been playing a lot of games while I uh, look for something a bit more stable. Uh, well, but obviously, we're all rooting for you to to find stable housing. At I, some point. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I think yeah. I've got something locked down. Uh, I'll figure that out in a couple days. Though. I'm imagining that you're just like under a bridge with like. Yeah, blanket, like wrapped around as your like sound curtain. Well, okay, so like there's a Starbucks across the street, so I have my nice little podcast microphone and the stands, and that's in the like in the in the river, and then I have the <laughs> laptop next to me, and then I have my switch right there, and I have a tiny little generator to ba- uh, power up my yeah. My sw- <laughs> what else do you need? Yeah. You're you're in luck. Brian and I sit, uh, the, uh, are just happen to have unused Starbucks gift cards that we for- keep on forgetting to use. Just for yeah. You. yeah, come out um, and hang out. I, I have I have a st- I have a story about this. It's completely unrelated, but uh, let's let's talk about games a little bit before we get uh, side sidetracked. Well, well, under my bridge, I actually was able to uh, find a delivery truck uh, bringing copies of East Nine on Switch to a local Goody. Target. Um, even though I live under a bridge, that's the worst thing I've played all week. <laughs> <laughs> No, okay, so fuck it. It's 
-hmm. it's hard to not be uh, disappointed in the switch port and i mean like you can look at the thing and be like wow that's rough but for those of you who don't know or maybe don't remember east nine is one of my favorite games uh i loved it when i played it earlier this year what i'm might not call it my game of the year because this is a really good year for games but i was excited to give it another play um god bless engine software they tried their best but east nine is unwieldy and even with durante's code that runs really not good on switch yeah Um, for context for uh yeah for context for people that don't know um, this has been the case with the Cold Steel 3 and 4 ports on Switch and PC, as well as now the East 9 ports on Switch and PC. Uh, one of the things that PH3 and EngineSoft have kind of done is that they share code bases. So when Durante's working on improvements for the PC versions of these games, some of those optimizations will find their way to the Switch version. Extra context, with, Falcom is very bad at programming, so they I, usually I've, have to recode yeah, a lot. Yeah, I think I said this on the podcast before, and I've been proven right. Durante knows how to code Falcom's games better than Falcom themselves. If Durante was not in the in the in the equation, I don't think an East Nine Switch port would have even happened. Hey, okay, well, we, we saw what happened when uh, when Durante's not in the equi- in the equation. That's the original East Eight release in English. Yeah, imagine like. If Durante wasn't involved with the East 9 PC port from the get-go and they had the original team from East 8 uh, doing the PC port for this, like I can't even imagine what this thing would look like uh, on PC. But uh, there have been some uh, clips circulating around Twitter. Uh, just uh, just a few examples from the top of my head that I remember. There are these um, Nox fights where you uh, are, it's kind of like a light tower defense type of deal. Um, situation in East 9, and then when there's a lot of effects on the screen, like a lot of skills, and that's bound to happen naturally in these kinds of like crowded fights, like the Switch frame rate just tanks drop to single digit frame rate. Like, not to about like five to six. You plug my own video, but I have a whole video just showing Mm -hmm. the whole like everything, which was stressful on its own right because I had two days to make that, but um. Yeah, it's it's kind of disappointing because you can see like there are a couple things that are like that are super impressive about it. Like the resolution is really like it's it it looks good. Like honestly, in stills, in screenshots. Yeah, well, well, yeah, but I mean, like in motion too, though. Like honestly, oh, okay. like there was this, uh, and I only know this because when editing my East, my original East Nine video, I had to stare at that footage a lot the the models are smoother in the switch port because there were some jagged edges on some of them in the uh, like on ps4 and i played that on ps5 before the 4k patch but still like the models look really great the textures aren't like awesome but again when you're playing a switch port you're kind of like you kind of you know you get to align your expectations yeah exactly uh this isn't like a disgaea 6 situation where they have like uh different modes for the game like they don't have like a a balance mode or a performance mode okay there's only i mean honestly they probably should have i'm pretty sure the core of the issue is actually cpu bottleneck related so i'm not sure performance modes would do anything because the switch has the same cpu frequency in both handheld and docked mode um but the the main thing is that like there are like when you're not in the main city 
it runs pretty good. Like if you're playing docked, it can get kind of choppy undocked. On honestly, undocked in general is just really rough. Um, but I remember I was trying to defeats the whole point of like a switch port because if yeah. like, you can't yeah, really play it undocked, you might as well just get a different version. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're, in East Nine, you're 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 mainly going around the city for a good chunk of the game, like as you're unlocking districts of it and whatnot. Um, I I remember from the just the brief clips that I've seen, like the it gets it can get kind of really bad when it comes to like level of detail. Like you'll take a like five steps away from like a save point, and then like it'll just disappear from the screen because it 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 can't handle. Oh yeah, Poppin's real rough. Anymore. Yeah. So can you t tell me a little bit about? just what the general like feel of like traversing around the it's, game and see, on switch the, the problem with running around the city is that there is no consistent frame rate it jumps around constantly and i've been told it's pretty it's very similar to how it is on base ps4 okay um but like and eventually, after my nine hours of playing, I did get used to it, but that doesn't make it like that doesn't make That's it okay. no excuse, is it? Like getting yeah, used to something really... bad is kind of rough. <laughs> no, yeah, like again, I get used to stuff super easily, which so that's not saying like, ah, uh, but I remember like after being like, because when I play East Nine or just any East game, I'm going for that hundred percent. I'm like getting everything so i'm in that city way more than many people probably are because i'm hunting down like all the chests all the azure petals like everything and then i'm going to main story so i remember when i first like you know when you get dull in the party and you get to like that first big open field yeah yeah um i remember how shocking it was to go from like that 15 to 20 frame rate city to that like pretty solid 30 fps like field because that's still a decently big area and i was like wow i know it's not but this feels like 60 fps in comparison um so that says a lot uh but i think the the main thing that's i don't know what the fuck is going on right now in all of the um in the embargo for the game they said that a patch well that patches were going to come out at launch to fix stability so naturally a bunch of other like reviewers were like okay so it's in a pretty rough state by, right now but we don't know how it's going to be at launch it could be fixed it has been what four days yeah four days yeah and we have not no patches none have dropped i don't know if they're going to fix it or they're working on it Weirdly enough, NIS America didn't say anything, and I remember East Eight. The the I mean, James, you played East Eight on Switch, right? Before uh, before yeah, on, yeah. So you remember how like that was really rough, and they put out patches up to well, launch. Well, here's and the funny after. thing. Here's the funny thing. I always was of the opinion that the Switch port for East Eight was fine, just because I had played the original Vita version, yeah. and I knew <laughs> that the uh, Switch version was based off the PS4 code. Which has a lot of upgrades. Like it has better, uh, it has better textures, shadows, like models. It has way more foliage. It's a lot of people say, "Oh, well, why is this switch port for Ease Eight so like rough?" It's it's just a port of a Vita game. No, it's not. It's a port of basically the Vita game's remaster of extra content that was yeah. built for PS4. 
And honestly, I agree with you that East 8 on Switch is fine. Like, I, it's not, like, perfect, but in terms of frame rate, it's in a much better state than, than 9. Uh, even though 9 kind of hits it in the resolution apartment way better. Like, I, I played a bit of 8 on my uh, TV on Switch just to get, like, a good vibe of how the ports compared. And it's, like, constant shimmering because the adaptive resolution's kind of freaking out at all times. And, like, it just can't handle the foliage. But, like, James, you remember how, like, up until launch and a bit after, there were a bunch of patches. Yeah, there, I remember they, that they had, like, uh, three patches, like, up, leading up to launch or something. And they were big patches. They were, like, substantial updates. They were on that, and then by the end, with all the patches out, it was a pretty solid port. Not amazing, yeah. but, you know... For a portable version of East 8, it's the best version. I also feel like it's worth noting that um, I'm sure at least some reviewers, that if they had played the PS4 uh, version of East 9 on PS5 before launch, Me. they they might have uh, been more inclined to give Nisa the benefit of the doubt here for a launch day patch because, well, um, East 9 on PS5... If you played it on PS5, and this is specifically the Western version, before launch, it had terrible crashing issues. And this is something like Josh can attest to. Josh and I both had to deal with this. It was so bad. Yeah. I it mean, was I'm like... I'm glad they got it sorted out by, by launch. And, uh, me and you were like... We, oh. Like, the whole time, I was like, holy shit. Like, this is like... If this doesn't get fixed by, like by launch this is like irredeemable but no it's honestly the ps5 version or like you know the ps4 version on ps5 is in a really good uh, like state right now like that shit hits 4k 60 and i think it's like that, native that, uh, 4K. that patch did finally show up in english right i know it was delayed oh yeah it is oh, okay it is gorgeous that game looks great now and it's it's super impressive i'm really happy that they actually localized that patch at all yeah, um, i'm not sure if it's if it's native 4k but it's close enough and I, think I saw like yeah. one of the digital foundry guys tweet about it. And I think he said it was native, but nah, I could have a bad memory. But my point is, uh, the fact that Nis America has not said anything about the patch publicly to my knowledge, I don't know. I've been off Twitter. Um, and it's been a couple days. I, and I, I haven't seen engine software say anything either. I'm kind of like, what's up? Uh, I, I pre-ordered the game. I have a physical copy waiting for me at a local GameStop, and I was going to buy it, but like, you know, just to have it on my shelf because I love the game. But in this state, I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to spend money on this. It's uh, so for probably for right now. Just uh, I guess the general recommendation is like just wait and see for patches, and hopefully, yeah, you know, we'll get sorted out. I feel like, like this could be a solid version of the game, like. If they actually optimize it with those patches, I feel like it might work. I'm not guaranteeing. Yeah, I'm not. I can't see the future. I don't know. It's interesting because uh, when the PC version of East Nine that came out alongside the Switch version, the uh, Durante like wrote up a blog post saying like the like the, it was pretty much a, a big challenge to bring East Nine to PC on his end because it was like very demanding on the programming side, and then uh, they're like sure, just COVID like didn't help. yeah, exactly, and. Uh, obviously, you know, for people who run weaker PCs, uh, there are options like disable certain like effects, filters, and whatnot on East Nine, like to just at least get it running on a PC, like at the expense of obviously fidelity and whatnot. 
but it's it's it seems to be like East Nine overall ever since it came out originally on PS4 in Japan, just a very like demanding game uh, in terms of just under the hood uh, stuff. Because it's made with spaghetti code. <laughs> yeah, yeah I I, I, you hate you hate seeing this, but like you see, like the, like how how is it so demanding when it doesn't look that nice? And the sort of thing is like we don't have the technical aptitude. At least I, I won't speak for anyone else. Don't have the technical aptitude to know like are they doing something under the hood that's just more more taxing than it appears, or is it more the spaghetti code thing? <laughs> like, I think it's I just that, like, assume one of the, yeah, I never well, want to assume I, one or the other. But well, I mean, I I think we've heard like publicly that it's like. Falcom isn't the best at optimizing their games. Like I like uh I know that a lot of their like ports and stuff or just a lot of their like games when like people have been trying to port them over to other systems they come across a lot of issues. And like like it was just said like when Durante had to get East 9 working on PC, Durante had to do a lot of work which more or less kind of implies that yeah, he wasn't given a lot to work with. Well, it makes uh, sense that Nisa, yeah, struggled so well, much when. Well, here's uh, the you funny say... thing, is that uh, he's basically outright said that he's recoded entire portions of like the key game, like game engine code. So he's basically done an an almost total rewrite for the stuff that matters. Yeah, Adam here wrote a feature that like was basically the, said, "Hey, it'd be great if more JRPGs got PC ports like East Nine." Uh, can you give us a little bit of insight just on your time with East Nine on PC, Adam? Since you're the one yes. here who played that. So I, yeah, so I wanted to play East Nine, but I wanted to wait for the PC version. I played the PC version of East Eight when it launched, and like at launch, that East Eight was just bad. It got like a few initial patches from NIS America, which sort of put it in like a it works state. It wasn't ideal it's, at it's all. Fine. But yeah, it was kind of like I guess this is playable, which is like the lowest bar. But um, last year they finally got Durante to like update that game, and now like I say in the in the uh, review I put up, I could pretty much you know suggest uh, East Eight on PC with no reservations. It's it's a really nice port. So it was nice that East Nine can come out, and I can basically just say that from the start, like it's a really good PC port. Uh, I'm playing on a pretty much top-of-the-line system, um, and I know these games have... It has, like, a similar, like, spec requirements as other Falcom games, so I imagine if you played the Cold Steel 3 and 4, East 8, it's probably similar. It does have some wide-open areas. East, East 9 does, like the city, um, and also some places outside the city, which might be a little bit more taxing, but otherwise, the port itself is really, really good. Uh, and... After coming off of like near replicant, which has some weird, weird oddities there, and also even stuff like Legend of Mana having just that PC port is just not good for like a PS1 game. It's just yeah. sort of refreshing to look nine and like, yeah, this runs painlessly. It's no issue, no major issues. It's got high, you know, high end uh, configuration options. And it has it supports Stadia controllers. It has an option. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you want to see well, the Stadia game is released on Stadia? Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was like, like, yes, you mean like, you mean like Stadia button prompts like showing yep. up? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. But That's, um, uh, this is probably yeah. the port that you play on Stadia in some way. But uh, it's the I only had one small issue with the PC port. Only one, 
And it's it, I don't know if this is a bug or more just a consequence of like all the different shadow options there are. So like there are in the PC port you can set things like shadow resolution and then like ambient shadows and things like that. And there are a few cases in like cutscenes specifically where if the character model is like really close to the camera, um, like a close up, and maybe in an awkward spot in the environment, sometimes the shot there's like too many shadows obscuring the character. And it looks a little bit weird. I th- I the think all it is the really shadow weird. man. I think all this is just like an unintended con- unintended consequence of like having your shadow settings a certain way, because maybe in reality, actually, yeah, it makes sense that this spot in the environment would be obscured by shadows. But when you're trying to have a cutscene there, it doesn't really work very well with, with a camera in the same spot or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so it just like it, it all, like you you shared the screenshot. And it was also in the in the article. Like it all looks like one of those um, in the documentary series, and you're trying to conceal the the person's identity with a silhouette. <laughs> So that's what it all looks like. <laughs> just that, this that's like the a only void. issue, though. <laughs> so otherwise, like like I said, like Scarlet Nexus's PC port is pretty good too. But um, that's obviously a much bigger studio and a much bigger you know budget and everything behind it. But yeah, just it would be nice. That's all I'm saying. Like, forget about any of the considerations of this. But it would be nice if like more PC ports could just be like this and just like have good configuration options. And just run well. well so I mean, like, game, like uh, Square Enix. On PC was also a very good PC version, though it seems like which? a lot of people. Which game? Uh, Kingdom Hearts Three. Okay, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. No. That was I that was a really everyone good was talking at once. Sorry, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> gonna happen a few times. Yeah. There's a lot no, of us here. Funny. <laughs> I'm just sli- sipping on my coffee and just observing. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Scarlet Nexus earlier, Adam, because like the the Bandai Namco recently uh, uh, released a patch for that on PC oh, that yeah. said fix, fix the shadows because they wouldn't pop up when you're like in certain languages like French. You know, it's like oh okay, I guess the French are vampires. Yeah, that makes sense. If you're playing yeah. in French, you don't have shadows. <laughs> it does make me really curious though. Like I, I kind of want to know like what weird, you know, configuration off. Op- like how does that how does that come about? Like, what is the explanation? Because it seems like spaghetti code. That's that's like an ignorant statement. I want to know, like, what yeah. what happened on the back end where language setting ends up affecting something right next to it, affects something right next to it, and ends up the result is there are no shadows. Like, I should talk about exactly Falcon, like how that happened. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah I, I, guess would, one, I would love to know the reason behind that. I guess one final note for the East Nine PC port that also uh, wasn't brought up because uh, I'm a buddy of mine in Florida who's uh, playing it. Uh, he's been sharing like screenshots of him playing it in ultra wide uh, mode, and I'm like so jealous because that game would probably look amazing <laughs> running on an ultra wide monitor, uh, just especially when you get to the wide open areas in that game. Oh, I'm jealous. One, I'm jealous. One great, honestly, one of the best. Um, I don't have an ultra wide monitor because I love my multiple multiple monitor setup. Too, but Same. One of the best options in the PC port, and I I don't know if this is in the PS4 port, um, is you can change your field of view. So okay. like, and you know, if you don't like how close the camera is or how narrow your view is, you can change it, and it's it's just really nice that you can change it. You don't see that all too often. Heck, there's some sometimes there's like big PC publishers like Bethesda that like, why is there no FOV slider here in a first person game? <laughs> just yeah, can't take it for granted. But did you have any like thoughts on East Nine other than just like the port stuff? Like, what do you just think about the game itself? Me? Um, yeah. So East 9, like, in terms of its direct combat stylings and things like that, 
it works pretty much the same as East 8. You know, you have six different characters. They all play pretty differently. You have some that are more ranged, like Renegade, and some that are more, like, close combat, like White Cat, and so on. Three different, you know, the same same old, like, three different attack styles. You have two characters for each, so you kind of swap between them depending on the enemy, whatnot. I was, I do think I like the overall structure, like the 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 big field picture of East 8 more than East 9 in terms of, like, you're exploring an uncharted island, you're unlocking different, like, zones in the island, you find, like, castaway people to enhance your home base, and they have a different, like, role that they, sl- they slide into and whatnot. Whereas in East 9, it borrows some of that, but you're unlocking different parts of a city instead, and you're... Fights in the city are done through these like portals, right? Josh has talked about this, you know, as far back as the PS4 release, right? And Cullen as well. It, it, that just it's just not as interesting to like, oh, I'm gonna go just wait by this portal and find enemies that kind of pop out of it, and then to unlock parts of the city, you pretty much are required to like, for just a moment, grind these portals. Like, oh, I need. 30 more Nox points, so I better just grind right these portals a bit to unlock the next part of the city. And it just, it doesn't flow as well, in my opinion, as just like, oh, I got a new zone of the island to explore, and let's see where this goes. So that's like the one thing about the game I like more about East 8, is just like the larger, how things are structured. Does that make sense? No, yeah, like I haven't played East 9 yet, but just the way, even just describing that, I'm like already like, preemptively bummed out like oh man <laughs> yeah it's also it's also weird too because there's up like a, a, a weird contrived plot like reason for that on why you're we have to unlock parts of the district rather than just well, going the to way them. i it and again i'm not to whip out the capital t themes but i do one of the reasons i did kind of like the unlocking the parts of the city is that it kind of felt like you were taking back your freedom a little bit uh, it's totally like from a game design perspective, this the island stuff is way more engaging. Uh, but I did I did find myself enjoying like just exploring Balduk and unlo- like doing the side quest and unlocking more of it bit by bit. I think one thing that uh, I've seen a couple of people say, and I kind of agree with it, is that East Nine structure, for better or worse, is static in the sense that every chapter is basically the same exact structure until the very end. Whereas in E's 8, like each chapter can be anything. Like chapter 1 is one thing, chapter 2 is longer and has like a bunch of dungeons. And then chapter 3 is basically just one big dungeon. And then yeah, chapter I, 4. And I, would... I, I think there's something to be said for having that variety because even from, not just from a systemic level, but when you know that a game is changing things up with each chapter, it kind of, you just don't know what's up ahead of you, and there's a certain surprise to it. If he's nine, everything, yeah, you can be like, oh, I wonder what I'll see this time, but it's like, you'll know how you're going to see it, or how things are going to play out, like the broad strokes, even if you don't know, like, which characters are part. We were actually talking about this um, with Scarlet Nexus last week, sorry to butt in there, but like, Brian was saying that like, in Scarlet Nexus, um, we were talking about like how the characters work in that game in terms of, I think actually I brought up like the example games where you have like chapters that are tied to a different character. Like this chapter is this character, and this character, this chapter is for the next character. The next chapter is for the next character, and actually East Nine falls exactly into that rigid structure. I I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of get that to a point where I'd say it's formulaic, but I'd also say that 
It's quite comfy as well. Like East Nine is a very comfy yeah. game, and, and the like, fact it, that it's it's not just like oh, oh this chapter's this character, but you're also figuring out more of their identity. So like, there is like a there is a hook each time. I'd yeah, argue, like it gives you like while there's like if, again if you boil it down, it's like oh this chapter's about this character, but like every character gets development across all the chapters. The mystery is slowly being un like unveiled and like east nine is way more character driven than eight like yeah. in terms of your whole cast so if you want like each of your characters to get enough screen time you gotta like you you gotta have chapters dedicated to solving their little issues or at least taking the steps to solve those issues and that's why like i don't really think that like again it is like george said it's comfy but I feel like overall, those little like chapters and the, how they're set up work to its advantage. There are good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. I remember uh, Kieran, um, Josh brought up the Yukiko in Persona 4 being like an example of it done poorly, where anything involving that character in Persona 4 is done with her chapter, pretty much. Where it sounds like you're saying Freeze 9, yeah, maybe the main the main bits of a character development can happen in their chapter, but then they like tail on past that and they continue. Yeah. That's where the strength of East nine comes in. Like, even though the chapters are very character driven and yes, it is a formulated formulaic, um, at least like when it comes to delving into like their identity, their background, like where they exist in the world, what's their role in society and whatnot, they're all pieces of a puzzle that kind of uh, cumulate into the the final, the climax. Like that, like a good That's chunk of them are very, wild. yeah, are, are very like central to what is like East Nine actually about. And I, I guess I'm I'm more forgiving of that structure because of the way it sees it Sticks out. The landing. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Like, I was, that was my biggest worry is that because I really like East 8's ending. So I was like, okay, so East 9's setting up a bunch of really interesting things, but will it stick the landing? And that last chapter is really just like tying everything up in a pretty satisfying way. And like, one of the things I love the most about East 9 is that it doesn't give every character like a similar conclusion. Like, it gives them, it wraps up their stories based on what, like, their own character. Like, not everybody gets, like, a super happy similar ending. Like, Hawk, for example, is kind of like this, he's a piece of shit, but his his arc is not, I'm gonna become a better guy. It's like, I'm just gonna be me. Like, just little things like that. Where my, it's like, their, their, their endings don't always rhyme. Yeah, just, my they, favorite... They vary. My favorite moment in these nine is near the end of the game where your entire party is like, oh, yeah, we need to stop this. And then uh, Renegade's like, actually, no, I'm fine with this. Yep. Which it makes total <laughs> sense for him to say that. Yeah, like yeah. the actions of all the characters make like there was never a moment, uh, which is rare for a Falcom game. Where I was like, these characters are not acting as they should. Their character arcs were consistent the entire way. And it's like, I think overall, like the writing quality is pretty top notch, and it it dives into a lot of like really interesting themes for Falcom. And even if it like some of the themes aren't like super like deep or anything, it's like it's executed so well that it was like I'm. It just overall like, damn, 
It's probably still my favorite Falcom game. So, yeah, I wasn't expecting to go into this weird, like, East 9, not quite a spoiler cast thing. We didn't spoil anything major, but uh, I'm just looking at the list of, since we have seven people here, all with at least one game listed, <laughs> just in the interest of uh, movement. Unfortunately, we got to move on, but it was really cool to have so many people like Cullen who had played it recently and Adam who had, or sorry, Cullen who had played it a while ago and Adam who had only played it recently. And then George, obviously, who played it uh, earlier this year, I believe. So Yeah, when it came out, I think. I am going to try to pick another game that came out recently. Obviously, for East 9, it was just the PC and Switch port. But a game that came out recently for PC and Switch, uh, and that's all it's on, is Monster Hunter Stories 2. So this feels kind of weird because we've talked about this game a few times, like pre-release, because all the pre what we were allowed to talk about or the preview videos that uh, James had made. But now it's actually out. Other people with that, you know, can actually just purchase it and play it. Uh, I know uh, Josh has been putting time into it, obviously, um, uh, James, and I believe also Cullen has been putting time into it. So I will hand it off over to, I think, Josh, because he's the one who didn't have it pre-release, uh, to talk about what his experience has been with Monster Hunter Stories 2 so far. Yeah, the reason I was saying ride on earlier, Brian, is because of this game. It has kind of a, I think it's from from the first game as well. Um, you have you're basically make this character, and instead of hunting monsters like in the mainline Monster Hunter games, you're kind of uh, breeding them Pokemon style, and then you're rolling Still combat hunting, and you're a rider. <laughs> you're not you're not hunting yeah. them. You're you're hunting them back to their dens, but you're not killing them or capturing them. You're well, you do kill a lot of them. Yeah, and also I, I feel like saying you're breeding them is kind of mis <laughs> kind of spoiling the pot because you're totally just stealing eggs from uh, from yeah. the parents. Yeah, that yeah. implies something much worse. Yeah, you're you're kidnapping, you know, their kids, but you're you're doing it for uh, I'm not gonna say a good purpose, but a purpose because that's just the story's uh, style and that how you do these to get your uh, those monsters compliant with you is through these kinship stones. And whenever you get into a big encounter of this game, you have this annoying cat from the first game. Uh, you have to, he always has to say, ride on. And then you kind of do like a common Rider style pose before you get into battle and whatnot. Um, so I'm not going to say, uh, look, whether, whether you think this is like a, a good or bad mor morally in this game, that's another whole separate conversation. I've put about maybe eight to nine hours so far into Monster Hunter Stories 2. Uh, I feel like <laughs> I just, it feel, it's weird because I've put in so many hours and yet I, I still haven't like hatched this uh, Rathalos that's like kind of the big story focus of this game because, you know, through the trailers and whatnot, uh, you're you're supposed to be packed bound to this Rathalos that hatches from an egg and then supposedly this Rathalos um is has the wings of ruin which is part of the title and it'll be bring and about the can, can you pet the dog baseball. told me you could pet the rathalos right and so i can't even, i don't even have that rathalos yet i don't even know uh but what i do know is i'm it seems to be i'm very uh thankful that this got a pc version because everything i've heard about the the switch performance is yeah it it works but the it seems like the frame rate's inconsistent has some weird loading times i've been playing the uh sorry, not to cut you off but since yeah. it's relevant uh so james is playing it on pc and then i'm the the dirty nintendo boy under the bridge who likes to play his games <laughs> on on the go um so it is inconsistent but not necessarily to its detriment in my opinion it's like again going from east nine to this 
this is fine. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the comparison. Then, oh, yes, yeah, sure. no, but like in general, though, while um, it is like the frame rate can be a little weird resolution wise, this game looks gorgeous, it looks amazing, like undocked and docked. So, a little bit of frame drops when you're exploring the open world, that's that's more than okay for me honestly yeah, it, it, it seems to run fine uh, on switch like the, but yeah. no if you're looking for like you know, obviously if your if portability isn't like a super big deal pc is the way to go yeah it seems like the pc part of this seems to be uh, awesome so i'm really thankful i heard like, they uh they announced a new switch version that or a new switch model that might run it better i've been living under a rock so someone tell I was, me why I, was that thinking, I was thinking about bringing that up <laughs> to be honest i keep uh, i keep thinking about it but i'm like uh that's a uh, Whole other that's, 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 yeah, that's the news of the week, but uh, yeah, 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 unfortunately, well, not yeah. it'll look really good under that bridge. It'll be you'll see it in through OLED, though, it's gonna be worth it. Um, yeah, so your player made character, uh, boy or a girl, uh, is the uh, grand, I think, son or daughter of this uh, hero named Red. I, for, I forgot if Red was in the first game or not, I, I, I forget. But I think James uh, is the only one that's played the first game. So we, every time we're like, I, I played it, but I had like, like no memory of it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, never mind. Yeah, first I played it, but no memory of it. Yep. It's just one of those. It's like, okay, I, I, it existed. Um, but you're from this village, and right now the the story is like a sort of cookie, cookie cutter. Like, hey, you want to become a writer and uh, try to save the world? Uh, go for it, kid. Uh, why not? You're you're the grandson of this legend uh, or granddaughter. And you know you should uh, you should give it a shot because you have you have his genes in you, and you now have his kinship stone. Or uh, and uh, try to find out what you can about uh, this special Rathalos uh, egg uh, and whatnot. I'm like, okay, sure. Uh, so right now, I, I guess what one of the things that really irked me early on from the character creator was, I I, I was thinking I was like, okay. Maybe I'll go make a girl. I don't. I don't know. Let's let's go check her ha- hairstyles. The one thing that really pissed me off was from the hairstyle menu, uh, was they separated uh, the Hime cut hairstyle, which is you know you see it in uh, Japanese culture and uh, Japanese anime of like this certain hairstyle that I like uh, called the, the Hime cut or the princess cut. And then uh, there's another hairstyle where the, uh, that separates glasses. Like gl- the glasses option is confined to a separate hairstyle you can't have glasses anywhere else with the other hairstyles it has to be confined to this one hairstyle so i can't have a a person that has both the hime cut and the glasses uh, on this player made character because that's zero out of ten game yeah i was was garbage man Uh, is it too late for me to drop a a score on my review because that is unacceptable (laughs) yeah that's what i'm saying i would have dropped the score maybe two so I just made a dude with glasses, and he looks awesome. So that's how, that was my solution because that that would have irked me if I if I played a lady. So you would you would every time you saw her, you'd be like, God, I hate you, yeah, I hate your haircut, Capcom, and Capcom would be like, I bet you what Capcom's gonna do down the road. It's like, okay, you pay us thirty dollars, and then we'll we'll offer that option. And it's like, all right, Capcom, you drive a hard bargain. So the the main flow of this game. Uh, once things uh, get up and running, is you have a partner monster called a Monsty. And what you do this Monsty is you ride them uh, across the, the field and you get into random encounters, or not random encounters, but you see the uh, monster model out in the field and you run into them 
into a turn-based battle. And uh, during battle, I think the the battle has been totally revamped from the first game. I don't remember the first game having being this intricate. I do remember. Can I, um, can I, can I add something real quick just about that? So yeah. one of my immediate disappointments was like, okay, Capcom, we are in 2021. Let me hit the monsters on the field. If you're having monsters on the field, <laughs> I don't yeah, know why this <laughs> this bugs the fuck out of me every time I see it. It is so like. Because, like, Dragon Quest Eleven was, like, is really good at this. Because it's not like it does, like, a, it, it's not like you gain that much of a bonus for it. And honestly, if you have, like, let you hit monsters on the field, you don't need that big of a bonus. But it's about the, the player feedback. It's about, like, because when you can hit monsters when they're, like, out running ar- around, it makes you want to get into battles. Because your brain starts going, oh, that's that monster. I'm going to hit it because that'll make my brain smile. And it's just like, it, I'm sorry. I sound like a crazy person. It is such no, a nice feeling to see. So it was such a bummer that you just kind of have to lazily m- mush into monsters and get into and fights it's, it's that like way. It's also like a well-worn thing. Like this has been a thing for decades. Like early exactly. Tales games do this. Like Paper Mario 64, I think, does this with his hammer. It's <laughs> just like, you can, okay, yeah, it's yeah, just weird to unlearn. Like, no, you can't yeah, do anything. Just, just walk into them. That's all you do. Yeah, it's it's not like a game. Like, it doesn't ruin the game. But it was just one of those things where it's like, I doesn't feel, feel like, good. Yeah, I feel because like you have weapons already. You have monsters that can attack, and there are animations for attacking for all the monsters anyway. Why was this not done? Yeah, you have to do a weird dance with the monsters because you can still get a preemptive strike on them, but you have to like kind of circle circle your way behind God. them and then you get a back and then you do a back attack by just basically ramming into their ass. Which is like again, it's like so usually if there's going if there's like a preemptive attack system in place already, just go a step further and let us whack the monsters. Also the, and this kind of stacked up after a while. There should have been like a dash button. Oh, like I, I keep thinking it's like, is there a dash button or not? Like it took me like maybe. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So there are monsters that you can ride that have a dash ability. Counterpoint villages. It is yeah, so slow I, to get I, through villages. I was, I, I was trying to like. I was trying to find the dash button through like the first village that you're running, running around in, and like you're doing you're doing this run, but it's not like fast enough. Even you're because like the 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 structure of the, the first village is uh, at a certain point you'll you'll be able to like take side quests from people and accept them. So when you accept them, uh, and after you fulfill those side quests, you have to run back to the person to cash it in. Unfortunately, one of the side quest givers is like the village chief, and he's like all the way up on this like hill at the very north end of the village and you're like well i have to like turn this in i have to go run all the way there but there's no like faster way to get there so you're kind of doing your casual run to him all the way up this hill and whatnot it's like come on come on so it's it's kind of a a a little like eh, those little things you know it's a great game but like there are a couple little things that was like "Eh, i feel like this could especially because like it's not like dashing and hitting monsters wasn't a monster hunter thing already. Right. Your series features. Yeah, it's like you figure that would be one of the first things to come when you're adapting like the monster hunter formula. 
especially because yeah. so many other parts get it so well but no continue by battles yeah they, yeah there's a yeah there's some mi minor gripes so the the battle system is it it's gonna sound weird and complex even though it's really not so going into battle you have you can have upwards to three weapons on you you can have uh, one slash type which is either a great sword or a sword and shield uh, you can have a, a blunt type weapon, which is either a hammer or a hunting horn, and uh, a pierce type weapon, which is either gun lance or bow. And uh, monsters will uh, not be weak, but will be most susceptible to one of these weapon types, uh, and uh, sometimes it'll resist one of them. So, yeah, and then they'll, they'll be very clearly marked after you try it out. Say, hey, like you tried to slash this. Uh, monster with a with a slash type weapon, and then you'll have an iconography iconography that'll say, "Oh, this is uh, resistant to that." So you try to uh, switch for another weapon. And then the nice thing about this is when you're switch switching through weapons, it doesn't consume a turn, so you're able to at least experiment without having to give up a turn to uh, exploit. You know what damage type you will be effective against them. Uh, as your uh, when you attack, you have to you have three attack options. You have uh, uh, technical, speed, and power, and these are all color coded: power to red, technical to green, and speed to blue. And this is another um, system that uh, is kind of like a rock paper scissors type deal, because uh, when monsters attack, they'll also uh, either attack through one of those um, types, or they'll have like a neutral um, attack. No, not attack type, but They'll cast like a buff or debuff on you, and that's kind of a more neutral. Um, there are spell. also um, there are also attacks that are neutral types. Okay, okay, I, I wasn't sure if the like if I've seen a neutral type attack yet. Maybe I have, and you haven't really gotten to it yet, or well, you kind of did because uh, you're in the second region now, right? Yeah. Okay, so when you fought the Anjanaf, which is the boss of the first area, which it's in the demo, it's not really a spoiler, but people have gotten to it, obviously. Um, there's a moment where you have to like break its snout in order to yeah. prevent it from uh, doing a powerful attack or to weaken it. And um, that powerful attack is, uh, it doesn't have a specific attribute to it, like it's not power, technical, or speed. The reason for that is, is that you specifically can't cancel that attack out if you and your monstie both use the right type of attack that would have been able to cancel it out if it had an attribute. Right. So the 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 main thing that these attributes do is, uh, it's it's twofold. Uh, obviously, when uh you attack a monster that's attacking you, it'll uh, it'll usually use one of these attribute types, and if you use an attribute type that beats it, say. Uh, a monster is about to attack me with a with a power attack, and I use a speed attack. We'll do a head-to-head face-off, like split screen, and then uh, since I'm using the correct one to uh, beat it, uh, I'll win out that head-to-head -head and do more damage to it, and it'll do less damage to me. And as we're kind of exchanging attacks, um, I'll build up this kinship meter with my mon monster monstie. I'm like thinking monster or monstie, and. Uh, the the weird thing is about this battle is you only are choosing actions for your player character only. There can be upwards to four party members, and your other party members are uh, your monstie, which it'll it'll do attacks on its own. But you can spend some of that kinship meter if you wanted to do a specific attack instead. And then your other two party members uh, throughout the story are kind of like NPCs that have their own monstie as well. So in the first region, you have Kana, your teacher. 
and her monsty, and then you they, they kind of do their own thing. Uh, so you're, you're only it's really worth noting that uh, later on you do eventually get some party members that are hunters, so they don't have a monster with them and they have their own quirks. Okay, uh, it, you're not always going to have another like a rider group with you. Sometimes it'll be okay. a, a hunter. Yeah, got it. Uh, so. As you're kind of exchanging attacks uh, with one uh, one another, and then you're either losing or winning head-to-heads, your uh, kinship meter will fill up. And then once this kinship meter fills up, you can uh, ride the monster, your monsty. And what this will do is, obviously, you board your monsty, and then you'll recover health. You'll recover some health for your monsty. And you can continue attacking while you're on the monster, and you'll have, like, uh, you'll dish out more damage while you're riding them. Uh, and then you can also do like this special um, kinship attack uh, that you can actually build up. It has like three levels to it, and the higher the level, uh, the bigger the payoff, and whatnot. And the and if you have another uh, rider with you uh, in your party, they can do the same with their monster and ride them. And then you can do like a double kinship attack if they decide that and on uh, their upcoming turn they're going to do a kinship attack. And then there's a other systems that revolve around this kinship meter, you don't have to just spend it to ride monsters. Obviously, like I mentioned earlier, you can use it to take more of direct command of what your monster is going to do, but also you can use it uh, for uh, various skills depending on the weapon type that you're wielding. So for the great sword, you can you can try to emulate the mainline game by uh, building up charges for your great sword, and then once it has two charges, you can do like a true wide slash. Which is like a, one of the big techniques in the in the mainline games, where it'll do like a big AOE attack because you charged it up correctly with the proper skills. Or if you have the hunting horn, you can spend that kinship meter to apply buffs for your party uh, and whatnot. And then with like the bow, uh, an example would be it has just like in the main games where uh, coding is important for uh, your arrows, like either poison coding or sleep coding or different elemental arrow types. Uh, you can spend some of your kinship meter to like maybe try to fire a sleep arrow on it and try to uh, put the monster to sleep. So uh, that's kind of the uh, bread and butter of the the Monster Hunter Stories 2 battle system. Uh, for bigger fights, uh, just like in the main games, uh, body parts are important to um, manage. So the, there'll be times where you're going up against a monster and you can hit like either its head or its tail. And then say you're going up against a Puke Puke, which is uh, one of the what a, a popular monster in the Monster Hunter series where best monster. It kind of <laughs> looks like a a chameleon uh, with a a, a tail that uh, has like lots of venomous poison in it, and then in how that translates to Monster Hunter stories too is hey uh, instead of attacking it head on on its head, try to take out the tail first because you don't want it to keep on poisoning your party and taking a lot of damage. So the usually a good idea to just focus on the tail first to uh, cut off that ability, similar to how you would do it in the in the mainline games. Uh, obviously, in the mainline games, you want to try to cut off the tail for the parts as well, and that's kind of the your reward bonus in this game as battles um, wrap up. You'll kind of get a ranking of like, hey, did you do like cool actions? Did you ride your monster? Did you use a skill? And you're kind of given a grade after each encounter, and depending on that grade, you'll get like more materials uh, out of the monster that you just fought. Um, and then so uh, 
this is a pretty cool dynamic uh, as it gets more fleshed out. I wonder if there are more systems to uncover in that. The a really interesting thing that I recently ran into uh, is if you if you go back to like a, an earlier area, say for a side quest, and you get into a random encounter with a much weaker monster, there's actually just like a button. Like if you just uh, press uh, ZL and ZR, um, you can just end the battle immediately in one turn. You'll kill the, the weaker monsters just in one turn immediately. Because you say, hey, you're way over leveled for this. You don't have to go, you know, uh, you don't have to play this battle because you're already so over leveled. So it's like, okay, great. So it's just one of those like nice quality of life things. Like you don't have to play out the battle uh, for that. Another nice quality of life thing is uh, normally like battles are, you know, not don't take that long, but the animations for what you're doing um it can can be like you know can get on the longer side as you're doing them again and again so there's a uh, option to speed up the battle up to three times its normal speed so you can go like fast fast forward uh as the battles progress and whatnot so that's cool i I bet it's the normal thing whenever these more recent jrpgs or turn-based rpgs have those fast forward options that you end up getting used to that speed and then you like go back to the normal speed and you're like jesus now everything's yeah. in molasses. Like, how did it? How did anyone ever play at this original speed? At least I always have that problem. When I, I, I turn, yeah, I turn on, these, I uh... on, yeah, I turned on turbo mode like from the very first encounter. I'm like, ah, okay. Right. That, uh, one of the things I didn't uh, touch upon, I almost forgot, was uh, as you're fighting monsters with your monsty, um, if you both choose like the uh, attribute and attacking the same monster that it's weak against, uh, you'll do a thing called a double attack. And that's like an additional like re- like attack on top of your on top of your normal attacks, where you both attack together, kind of like balls balls of light. You kind of have like that Dragon Ball uh, aura around you guys as you both like collide into the monster uh, for it. And uh, what this does is you basically get a free attack in without no counter attack on that. So just it's a nice bonus. It also fills up the kinship meter uh, a good chunk as well. And if you're doing particularly well in an encounter, sometimes there will be like these QTE sec- sequences where your monsty and the monster uh, enemy monster face off, and you have to like tap or uh, the uh, like X or something to kind of just get an additional attack in and fill up your kinship meter. So that's kind of the extent of where I'm at in the in terms of combat. That's my understanding of it so far. Uh, obviously, it may evolve as. Uh, the game progresses i'm still very early on it's just a fun um really chill chill relaxing rpg um outside of the battles there's obviously a, a whole system like in the first monster stories where monster dens were a very big part of it where you as you explore throughout the world sometimes you'll uh, stumble upon these little caves called monster dens and they're kind of like mini randomized uh procedurally generated randomized dungeons where they're they're linear and you're trying to find the nest of a monster and then you go up to that nest and you kind of uh pick up an egg to take back and hatch um you could actually like sort of like how a gotcha mechanic would do it like a gotcha pawn machine would do it is uh, after you pick up an egg, your uh, Naviru, kind of like the annoying cat that has a lot of cat puns with you, um, it'll say, "Oh, this doesn't smell, you know, great," or "It feels light," and then it, it's kind of like kind of letting you know, "Hey, what's the quality of the monster in this egg before you even hatch it?" And then sometimes when you dig uh, through these nests to kind of trying to 
um, get a better egg, it'll like light up gold as you're like digging through the nest. It's like, okay, this is probably the one I want to take back with me. Well, not so fast because there's a chance for it to light up rainbow too. And those are the eggs you want. I haven't seen that yet. So I I didn't know if it can can light up rainbow or not. So I haven't seen that. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Um, Think of all the eggs that you picked up, not knowing that you could have gotten a better one. True. Uh, I, I should have kept on rolling. Just get the gotcha mechanic in me. And so, uh, like in the first sponsor stories, uh, every egg that you pick up has a distinct like color and pattern on it. And I'm trying to tip you off, hey, like if the, if it's this certain color and pattern on it, like this is the type of uh, monster that's in it. So there's also that additional component on top of it if you're trying to find like a specific monster that you want to hatch. I haven't gotten through all. Uh, I haven't even got to the tutorial of like the whole mechanic where you. Uh, manipulate genes yet of a monster because there's whole this three by three like bingo board that will um for each monster that they can either unlock through leveling up um or sometimes like some slots will be unlocked uh and have special like rainbow colored slots um for additional bonuses and stats and whatnot i'm not too sure exactly yet uh how that'll go because i haven't gotten into it yet but the, the 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 neat thing about this also is as you're exploring through the monster dens and you want to catch a particular monster, sometimes you'll uh, run into an encounter in the in those dens that will that has a monster that you may want to like get uh, an egg for. And before the the battle ends, you just like in the old Monster Hunter games before World, there's these things called paintballs, and you can uh, use paintballs before they uh, before you end the battle, like three turns. They last for three turns. And these paintballs makes it so they're more likely to retreat uh, after the battle ends. So you can actually, there's actually a way to have a, a monster den inside of an already existing monster den. Uh, so you can navigate into these, and they're usually not a dungeon in the, to themselves. They're just like the nest, and then that's just another layer on top of an existing dungeon that you're already exploring right now to get additional uh, monster eggs for you. So that's kind of like the whole deal right now with Monster Hunter Stories too. That I, I know it's a little bit systems heavy, but it makes more sense uh, as they uh, dole it out to you in the game. Um, I haven't messed with any of the co-op multiplayer stuff. I haven't really. I, I've only been scratching the surface. Of course, you can forge equipment, forge armor, uh, all the good stuff from the main mainline games. And yeah, it's just really really fun. I can tell it's arguably a really long RPG. It seems like. But I've kind of just taken it like you know one step at a time. Uh, it's relaxing. I, I enjoy it. It it sounds like pretty darn intricate. When it's like you might just say like, oh, it's the Pokemon like spinoff. But it's like, well, I guess if people people go off the deep end for Pokemon mechanics and stuff like that too. So maybe that's more out than than they think. But it does sound like it really gives you a lot of avenues to customize your team, the monsters you have, the monsters you catch, how you eventually like permute them with these. DNA splicing whatever this is. <laughs> so uh, I saw I saw James streaming some of this stuff. Uh and I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. It seems like the sort of thing that you really have to play it to like get it to get exactly like how all the parts fit together. Right. Yeah. I, I guess the, the the one like other minor gripe I have with it, uh, uh, uh everybody are monsties, you can have them as your lead monsty, and then that'll be like the one that you bring into battle when battles start and the ones that you ride across the world as you're exploring around and whatnot. Um, they also have all unique abilities uh, depending on 
like say Arzuros, the bear one, has an ability to like smash rocks so you can like uncover like new areas and like treasure chests in the world and whatnot. But all their movement is it's varied, but some of them are really annoying. Like some of them have to the standard run, like the Velocidrome, like Raptor type uh ones, but then like Great Jaggies have this weird movement flow to them where as they're maneuvering, they kind of do like a weird stop in between each step instead of like a consistent run. So you're kind of like getting like a burst of movement per movement, and it's like really disjointed. And I wish there was a way to just make it more uniform and not have to do that. But that's just a, a minor gripe. But other than that, it's 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 neat. I'm, I'm playing it with English voices, and the English uh, performances sound pretty damn uh, damn good. I actually, I, I really liked the English performances as well. They're like cheesy in like an intentional endearing way. It's like, I, I get this like Saturday morning cartoon kind of vibe yeah. from the game. And it's just, it's really Where cool. It's like people, don't, people don't talk like this, but it, but it sounds great <laughs> anyways. Yeah, the, it's funny that you mentioned that because you're reminding me that this, uh, the first monster story is like, you got like an anime adaptation that was like, 70 episodes and it was like a, a, a like a Saturday. really it was also yeah. from the animation studio that's behind the jojo bizarre adventure uh oh david production i think right i um i i remember because i looked into that uh while i was playing and apparently like because of licensing issues only the first like 49 episodes got dubbed and then the rest of the series just never made it officially west but i'm not oh. entirely sure if that's accurate huh I hope See, I don't have to watch this fact. anime to uh, to understand the story. Oh, yeah, you do. Monster Hunter story. <laughs> oh, damn it. No, no of course. Nah, that is a standalone story for anyone who hasn't played the first stories. Hey, I don't remember much of the first stories at all, and I'm just doing fine, you know? So, Does you anyone remember the uh, Mega Man Battle Network anime? <laughs> yes. I do. I more specifically remember the Star Force anime. I was thinking that Chow had, like, he was going to break off of that. <laughs> yeah, but no, uh, no I just think that anime. it's like you know, that was surely an anime. Yep. Remember anime? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> hey, Chow. While, while you're talking, let's. Uh, obviously, we've given a ton of uh, bandwidth to both Heese and Monster Hunter stories. Let's at least go through and touch on some of the other things people have played. But Chow, you've got listed here that you've been basically bouncing between two highly similar MMOs. I don't know if that's actually well, true. I'm you're playing uh, Final similar. Fantasy. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I just stated that without any meaning to uh, Final Fantasy fourteen and Ion. So I think you've talked about both of these briefly on previous podcasts. So like, are you playing these about fifty fifty, or are you like playing more of Final Fantasy fourteen to try to catch up and less of Ion, or like? What are you um, it's more like I want to play more of Ion, but Ion's very grindy. So I need like every time when I get burnt out, I I need to switch back to Final Fantasy fourteen where it's more chill and relax i was gonna say you say that but like the last thing well last thing i saw you did on uh, 14 was um i'll just say this for colon and for i guess anyone else listening that's played 14 they'll understand a smile better suits a hero yeah that's pretty hard crushing i mean but it, it, it's still the more chill game because you know i mean like FF14 is more focused on PvE, while Ion's more like, well, it's like, I want to grind, but I could be murdered by random people, you know, out of nowhere, because it's a PV, uh, was it PvE, PvP game, so it's a lot more stressful playing Ion, while, I, you know, in FF14, you don't have to deal with uh, PvP, it'll be a self-contained environment, right? 
Wait, so how does PvP, like, does the... How does the game push you to play PvP? Like, let's say you're not a PvP player. Is basically just Ion just not for you? Or It's kind of weird, because, like, a lot of times these theme parky MMOs recently, it seems like PvP is kind of an afterthought. But I feel like maybe 10 years ago, that wasn't quite as true. Like, people would actually go into MMOs and really get into their PvP. I don't know, like, how WoW does it, but I know in... I know just from sitting on the bleachers like I am, whenever I see Final Fantasy fourteen updates talking about PvP, it seems like no one's interested in it. People literally like put like their sleeping memes or, or whatever. But how does Ion do it? Ion does it like this. You basically are separated, like because there's two factions, right? But they, they have their own zones. And in order to get to their zones, you have to take a portal to fight in their zones. But there is also a zone that you can access to. It's called the Rishanta or the Abyss. And once you go in there, uh, all was it, all bets are off. It's like you if you go in there, it's like enemies can find you. You can find enemies, and it just becomes like a whole murder zone, right? But so it's not like structured PvP battles. It's like open world. Yeah. Like if you see an enemy that if you see like an enemy grindy there, you can just you know just attack them and Damn. kill them, right? It's like there's I kinda, no. I kind of feel like developers these days are too scared to do that because it's too inconvenient. It's also too toxic like for certain players. Yeah, that too. Yeah, like I got killed by like assassin, but I'm just trying to farm some material, and the first thing he does is he taunt me after he kills me from ambushing me. It's like you didn't even like did anything. I was almost dead from a mob, and you just stabbed me right behind while I'm trying to gather some items. Right, you know. Like I, I do know that originally when Amazon was pushing New World back when it was like originally unveiled, that was something that they were talking about that they would have that sort of focus. But I guess they've shifted gears so many times that people really don't know. Well, I guess people who are currently playing the alpha under um, a non-disclosure agreement <laughs> might have a better idea, but uh, whether or not they'll go through with that when they actually release the game. Because again, yeah, it seems like modern MMOs trying to try to shy away from that. But yeah, like it's, it's a different kind of setting, so I don't think a lot of games want to push that too hard because, I don't know, I guess as time went on, people find that it divides the community too much as, as time goes on. And you'd be losing half your community, right? But yeah, are you that's... currently playing Ion or Ion Classic? Classic. I, I would never right. touch retail. They they screwed up retail so bad that there's like it's like a wasteland if you go to retail. It's like there's probably like two to three hundred people logging in each day. Oh, so, <laughs> so retail probably has like fewer players. Yeah, all just like no lifers. More like whales. They probably have like oh. flexed so much money on their gear that they just don't want to log off anymore, you know? To truly but, just pay to win. Yeah, it's pay to win. They 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 screw up so hard in one of the patches and and they just like, ah, whatever, we'll just keep going. And I, I think what happened was at one point, um was it they were taken over by Nexon or Nexon, however you say it. And uh they totally switched some of the gearing progression and screwed up the pay to win completely. Like back then it wasn't like you could pay to win, but you won't jump up in progress too much. But eventually it got to a point where if you don't spend money, you're basically screwed. So in final fantasy 14, like how far are you now? So obviously you're based on the, if you know, um, if you know that, I think that almost, games gave earlier, you're nearly done with heaven's done. I think I've almost done the base heaven's Ward. I'm trying to, uh, penetrate this barrier to this magical city somewhere. I, I think if someone heard that, they probably know exactly where I am. I, I think I have an idea where you are. I hope you're really looking forward to Stormblood. 
Wow. Are you playing on the free trial, or you actually have a? a I, I I bought the um the entire game before. Um, what happened oh, okay. was um when I played the game at launch, I I wasn't really feeling it because I missed my equipment in Ion, so I leveled up to like level thirty and I just quit. But I figured, you know, I subbed the game for like a year before, right? I, I like how you're like bouncing through these, where like if you just don't feel one one day, you just bounce to the other, and yeah. you just go back and forth. So, like, are you planning on going directly into Stormblood? Do you think? Or are you planning on me taking? I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't stop playing FF14 until I reach the end of Shadowbringers. Oh, uh, so you're 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 in for the long, long haul. You're, you're yeah, you... yeah. I'm pretty interested now. It's like Heaven's Word's what does it? Yeah, like like all of a sudden when you get to Heaven's Word, all of a sudden you know it's like the stakes are higher. The story got a lot more interesting, and now you the have bad to care. are gone. Yeah, you actually care about the characters now. Like, and in Realms Reborn, everyone just kind of talk like they're in a spreadsheet. They're like, oh, yeah, you just got to do this for me and do this for me. And that's it, right? But now you actually know about these characters and you care what they do, right? I Yeah, because I've been going through 14 as well. I just haven't had time in the last couple of weeks to play more. Um, I'm like right about to get to Shadowbringers. I finished base Stormblood. And then I just spent like a month just grinding Dark Knight and then just doing raids and just side content, which is really weird because I usually play 14 for just the story, but just kind of goes to show just how good the post, like the, the post shadow, uh, the post Stormblood patch quest are and all that content is really really fun it's 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 hard to keep playing final fantasy 14 while living under a bridge it just is yeah no (laughs) i i think square enix still has my card though so they're still charging away which it's a little annoying but you should unsub and use the free trial they're giving free two-week playtime for the next next uh i think it's tomorrow i think are they actually doing that yeah, uh, Brian, it's a good time to show you could get the full game in two weeks, but you could also get the free trial. But yeah, and like, we'll be talking more about Final Fantasy 14 later because obviously they just had another one, yeah, another uh, 14 hours leading. Yeah, a 14 hour stream within which, or at the end of which, I forget, um, they had another letter from the producer live leading up to obviously Endwalker this holiday season. So you've, you've got a you've got a deadline, Chow. That's when you got to be caught up. So. Yeah, well, I I kind of did I a little setback. I leveled a I leveled a healer recently when I got to Heaven's War because there's a there's a drop class that you don't have to start all the way from the beginning in order to get a catch up, right? You just start right at level thirty, right? So I got the ast was it the astro astrologian or whatever? Yeah, I unlocked that class and leveled it to like fifty four. I mean, playing a healer it totally spoiled me in the queue times, you know? Like you just this instantly pop, right? <laughs> Well, uh, if 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 Endwalker has a new healer, maybe not. Uh, they right? do. It's called a Sage. They use the funnels like from Gundam. The <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, the across the board are just going to be really rough in Endwalker because there's just so much like because like the Reaper I think is the same thing. Like DPS is going to have miserable queue time. I am yeah, very. Yep, that is the whole reason why I leveled uh, Paladin to level 80 and uh, got the gear ready for it, because I figured, well, I'll just be a Paladin main, and uh, that'll be the uh, best option. I'm going to uh, probably level up my Gunbreaker to level 90 for Endwalker, and then just kind of go from there. You know what's kind of funny? Ion has the opposite problem. It's actually harder to find a DPS than finding a healer or a, or a tank. 
I find that do they, really do they strange. Do, this, do they do the similar like hard cutoff between the three? The three no, no, no. Did? You have to you have to manually form your party. There's no duty ah, factors right. in Ion. But the thing is, there it takes more time to find DPS versus a healer because everyone plays a healer in Ion, so they don't That's really need much of them. But you would need the DPS because the DPS has all the crowd control and all that abilities, right? Um, so it's like either way, it's like you need a really balanced lineup in Ion, and I think because of that, it's like, well, I don't think you're oversaturated with too many DPS with these long queue times trying to find parties, right? It would be it would be interesting, like not this isn't the right form format for it, but like figure out like based on the 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 strengths of each class or how each game is designed, like what people naturally gravitate for in terms of forming a party. But obviously that would require a ton of investigation. But, but like if you're playing Final Fantasy 14, right? Like the healers also have the CC abilities. But I guess the roles are kind of different too because they're also DPS as well. Because if the healers right, not that, healing, yeah, you have the DPS. As, as someone who hasn't played Final Fantasy 14, that's something that I always see. That's a bit interesting compared to other games where Final Fantasy 14 they expect the healers to pull their weight in uh in doing damage as well where in other games i don't think that's nearly as that's not emphasized in in ion you just focus on healing if you want to focus on dps the tank is just going to die immediately and people were saying what the hell were you doing were you dpsing (laughs) right yeah that's That's, that's kind of what i was getting at like based on how the classes are designed what what are they capable of how much healing do you need how much dps do you need how much how much is it expected of every party member but yeah we'll talk more about final fantasy 14 when we get into the uh, live letter summary uh i'm going to switch gears back to another game that josh wanted to talk about that we just kind of got sidetracked because you had chimed in uh with the anime comment and then we just we just got off topic from there it's gonna happen i'm sorry uh so josh has listed here that he's also played another game that i don't think that we've really talked about much on the podcast before but i know a lot of people here we didn't make a review it. though and that did we review it i reviewed it oh damn it was one of my uh, first reviews i take it back Okay, I'm talking about AI, the Somnium Files. Yeah. Uh, Is it I? It's not it's, AI? Well, no, Damn that's it. the pun. That's the pun oh. of it. It's artificial intelligence. I is in love. And then I and is the I is an eyeball. Yeah. Yep. It's a Uchi Koshi game. You, I'm learning great. so much. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. there's like a fourth layer as well. I, I forget. It's been a while. But Josh, how you been liking I? Ah, I've... So uh, I, we didn't uh, cover it last week, but uh, Spike Chunsoft uh, unveiled that uh, I was getting a sequel called the uh, I the Nirvana Initiative, and I was like, oh yeah, I never. I started this game like when it shortly when it came out, but then it, I never got around to actually beating it. I only got a couple of hours into it, and I was like, I should really try to, you know, go back and finish it because, you know, it, it, it's definitely a game that I would it's I would like because I like the Zero Escape series. Uh, Zero Time Dilemma, not so much. But, you know, I like the other games in that. So I should really try to do that, especially when the Nirvana Initiative trailer had um, one of the characters play Zero Escape on, like, a handheld device. It was such a good trailer. Oh, my God. One of the craziest things about this, so, like, as an iSuper fan, one of what I assumed was only a couple, because I don't think that game sold amazing or anything, it was kind of crazy to see how wild iSomnium Twitter was getting. Like, all of us were losing our goddamn minds to the extent that uh, Mizuki, the character, and I, the Somnium Files, was trending on Twitter. Oh, wow. I didn't see that, but 
That's awesome. That's really cool. I so I'm about eight to nine hours ish into this game. I've gotten to one of the endings, and the way this is structured is similar to Zero Escape games, where there will be uh, multiple branching paths in the narrative, and uh, to uh, get to the true ending, you'll have to, uh, I guess, unlock you know all, more or less all. do all of them. Yeah, and I guess it's going to be like worth it to see all everything it has anyway. So. So I got like the iris uh, ending, and then I'm there. I have another locked up branch path, and then I'm like working through this other path. So the 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 setup for this game is you're uh, playing this uh, detective called Date, and the game opens up on this really bizarre murder. Uh, a woman uh, has her left eyeball uh, missing, and was uh, her her corpse is on this uh, carnival ride on one of the horses in a merry-go-round, and um, and you discover that uh, a character named Mizuki is was hiding in the uh, in the column by, by that merry-go-round with an ice pick, a bloody ice pick in her hand. So the the whole mystery behind this murder is multiple layers deep, uh, and you find that very shortly after. This is like maybe first like thirty minutes. It's not really a spoiler. Uh, that you know, Mizuki is basically Date's roommate, and then through you know circumstances of, uh, with her family and her connections and whatnot, it kind of is this way. He and practically it, adopts her. Yeah, so it's a it's a very oddly charming story I find so far. I really like the characters and the the whole cast that you meet along the way. Uh, family unit can be a, an adopted daughter and her uh, really really dumb adoptive uh, father. Yeah. So um, the, the the special thing about Date is that he uh, one of his eyeballs is actually uh, kind of like a super AI device uh, that kind of is um, I, it acts on its own. Uh, her name is Iba. Yeah, her name is Iba, and uh, which it's a, one of the coolest things is that oh yeah pun, but uh, the Isomnium Files Two Limited Edition has a good smile PVC of her, which is like, how did you guys? Oh, Uchi Koshi, how did you trick Spike Chunsoft into giving you money again? <laughs> well, I mean, as I was like, as I was talking about on Twitter, like once it got revealed, because I think everyone was under the impression that I just did not do well, because like based off the console sales for Japan, it didn't seem like it did great. And obviously, like any more niche title, you're not going to. It, gonna it have goes on any... sale like every week for dirt. But one game. thing, but one thing I did check. Um, was on Steam, the game has over 3,000 reviews, which generally the shorthand is, is that if a game has, well, if you times the number of reviews on Steam by like 50, generally that's a rough estimate for how many copies have been sold. So that would imply that I has sold on PC around or above 100,000 copies. Again, that's not an actual number. I mean, we don't know for sure, but and you got to remember sales as well, though, because they get again. It was pretty early on when the game started to drop in price. Yeah, still, that's that's pretty good. That that that's something. So, but uh, continue, Josh. Yeah. So the the cool thing about the Date and uh, Iba. Uh, they have a real, they have a lot of great banter. That's kind of like a, a big part of the game is just banter with other characters and the chemistry between uh, Date and his AI eyeball partner that can come out of his eye. Uh, the, their banter is great. Everyone's very like very kind of straightforward and honest with each other in a really um, 
direct way it's great that's just the, really funny. one of the reason why the banter is so good is that in games like zero escape it really would just like come out of left field but i sets its tone in such a way right away so that you really like it it's a, when characters go on like weird rambling like rants just about anything it makes a lot more sense because i tries to go for a bit more of a comedy drama vibe than any of the zero escape games yeah. uh, do mm -hmm. and i i didn't expect this going in because initially when i was playing i was like oh this is so the game's trying to be funny all right but i feel like it kind of nails the drama and comedy way better than the zero escape games do which is again high praise i like those games a lot but i, think, I came out of left I, field for me i think in retrospect i really appreciate the dynamic between iba and uh, date especially like in the somniums where those two dumbasses are making like random references in the middle of like a murder investigation like no joke you literally have a section where iba re like well both iba and date basically um uh recreate a skit from pop team epic like verbatim <laughs> yeah <laughs> It has a lot of fun with itself and like it's not trying to be as like held back and grounded as the Zero Escape games initially present themselves as being. It's like the the really wacky dumb shit of Zero Time Dilemma that was put in there more to kind of wrap up loose ends but poorly is kind of just like it's just it's earnest. It's just like this is what the game is. And, and a lot, some people didn't like it because of that, but I ended up really loving it for that exact reason. It's, a, the, the, it's one of those things that, in, I think initially when I first started this game years ago, I think I was put off by that. But as like you know, as time has come come around and whatnot, I've kind of started appreciating this this kind of dynamic. I don't know why. Um, it, I do like the that you bring up both of you a good point that it does. Uh, chemistry a bit better than the zero escape series overall is because it's not bound by the tension of a death game of a, an escape room type of uh, context you're a bit more free a bit more open yes you are a detective yes it's a serious case but you're not like under a clock under a mastermind type of deal you're not trapped you're, you're still able to get from place to place to find out where uh, where you need to go and it's kind of like you're Every step of the way, like during a, a multi-day investigation, not every single second of the day has to be like, oh, you have to be super serious about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it makes it like, I, I've always kind of said this, but like, so when you're, if you want people to care about characters and you really want heavy hitting moments to hit, you need levity in there. You need to be able to like the characters. So those goofy moments, those little messing arounds, like... One of the things that's so good about Date is that he knows when to be serious. Like, yeah, yeah. he knows when to not make dumb jokes. He knows when to take his job seriously, and those lead to some of, like, the most heavy-hitting moments in the whole game. It's this, it's, it's a, this is a really cool, like, little detail that I really liked about this game, is uh, I'm, I'm about to, like, uh, touch upon, like, the quote-unquote gameplay part of the job. Uh game with somniums in a little bit but outside of those when you're talking to characters and investigating like a scene uh as you're exploring the environment with a cursor it, like it'll show like hey you haven't uh explored like or seen this part yet and 
Like it could be like a stairs or a fence or a lantern or somewhere or a part or of the a mermaid <laughs> or a mermaid. Yeah. Um, where sometimes uh, from those little uh, things in the environment that when you look over them, like there'll be a little uh, scene between you with Aiba or another character in the scene. And it's like, you guys are remarking over this, usually some dumb pun over it and what there is a ton of dialogue in the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and one of the most impressive things is like you could tell this was like a big push for Spike Chunsoft because every line of dialogue in the game is voiced. Like yeah. Yeah. all of it. Uh, oh I'm, I'm sure I, I know the answer. Are you playing in uh, English or Japanese? English. Oh, okay. Wow. That, so yeah, I was say, like I know the, the answer too, but nope. The dub's really good. I really like the dub a lot. I think it, it is one of those weird things where like it just it just feels right for the game. Oh, yeah, probably because the Uchi Koshi games are, while they are made in Japan, they are made for a Western audience because that's where his fan base is. But the dub is outstanding. Like, so much so that some of my friends who have played in Japanese, I'm like, yeah, you're totally valid. Do a playthrough with the dub at some point. I need to do a uh, Japanese voice playthrough so I don't come off as a hypocrite. But just like the talent of voice actors on display for that game is so great and honestly a lot of those voice actors were like when uh, when they were working on i they were smaller names but now they're in like way bigger roles uh like uh, zach aguilar kind of really took off after this uh karina boetker they're now like um i don't play genshin who's the little assistant character i'm on yeah, Paimon. They do Paimon now. Like, it's just such a really cool cast. And it's like, oh, they, I, I'm kind of, I don't, because the Zero Escape games are localized by Axis and they did a good job with those. But like, the new team they got for I, for the localization of I, they just, they were firing, firing on all cylinders constantly. It's so impressive. Yeah, so uh, as you're exploring about the environment and getting these little dialogues, and some of them, like, that, that's kind of the, the, the cool thing about the game. Uh, a good chunk of the game for me is, like, just... Even though it kind of gets repetitive, I'm like, well, like, you know, you're, go you're going to the scene and then you've been through this environment before, but there's, like... You, uh, like, there, there are things that you already looked at, but they'll have different things to say about these same things. Um, I, I like those little exchanges, even though it is a bit repetitive in nature, of, like, having, having to go back into those scenes and whatnot. Yeah. What I do appreciate is that as you're going through the story and it becomes like more serious, there are uh, uh, stakes are getting elevated. Things happen throughout the the story as uh, more and more characters uh, get involved. Uh, if it's like a serious scene, it's earnest about it. They you can still look at these environments, but they won't they won't have anything to say because it's not the appropriate time for it. And I'm glad that they recognize. That's that, a good you know, point. Yeah. There's a, there's like an, an emotional tension there that they don't want to be lost. So I really I really appreciate that. Uh, as for the gameplay part, uh, since Dante is like a special detective, as I already said, yeah, it's like a AI component to it. His he, main... um, yeah, I, I was gonna say he uh, like there's like a gimmick that I think works really well for the game because for those uh, in the cast who have not played the Zero Escape games. They were, um, uh, not to cut you off, I just thought the context was interesting. So, 
Uchikoshi got his popularity making room escape games, puzzle games, where in all of those games, there was like a story time limit where the characters would always be like, we have only like 30 minutes to do this or we have X amount of time. But you, the player, never had that. You just like there was no time limit on anything you would really do in the Zero Escape games. But I, the Somnium Files mixes up the puzzles in a pretty significant way. And in my opinion, in a way that kind of adds to the tension. Yeah. The, so the, 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 like one of the very few times that they are, that zero escape ever did, it was like the, the final thing in nine, nine, nine. And that's still like, uh, at least for the DS version, still like one of my favorite moments in games. Like I still, that's still a masterpiece for me. But other than that, you're correct that like, even though it says, Hey, you have this time limit, you're kind of have a lot of time to think about it. It doesn't really ruin the tension per se, but it just, you know, in the context of things, you're just like kind of meandering over this math puzzle, and then yeah. you're like, you're kind of like 45 then, minutes, or you're trying to decipher this alien language. It's like, all right, cool. And then afterwards, it like it cuts to the the character who's like, oh my god, we barely did that when you were yeah. spending like two hours on a a puzzle. And it's not again suspension of disbelief, but I doesn't really give you that opportunity, and yeah. that's a good thing in my opinion. So and I oh. Uh... Sometimes you'll have these sequences where, uh, uh, let's say, very early on, um, Mizuki was so traumatized by, by, by what happened, what she witnessed with this murder and whatnot, um, that she became temporarily mute. And then you're trying to find a way, hey, how do we get Mizuki to kind of open us up again, getting her speech back and whatnot? So you took her up to this machine called the Sync Machine, which is spelled uh, P-S-Y-N-C. Uh, and... So you're trying to you dive into her dreams, essentially her mind, and uh, you have these things called mental locks that you have to uh, solve along the way, and they're kind of like pieces to uh, an overall puzzle. And there, and these mental locks are checkpoints, service checkpoints, and whatnot. And then the in-game um, narrative justification for anything that happens is, hey, we have the state-of-the-art technology, but the uh, conceit is you only have six minutes. Uh, to solve this entire puzzle. And uh, while you're in the puzzle, if you're staying still, time will move very slowly. It's like one millisecond per second, I guess. And uh, if you're if you're moving in motion and you, Date, aren't actually in it, it's your AI buddy, uh, Aiba, moving around. And anytime she moves, but they still a... have like fun banter, which is also right. really cool. Like, um, at some point in the future, I recommend just doing another playthrough anyway, because there is so much Somnium dialogue. There is so much there that I like know. people would like tell me about. I was like, I beat this game and I thought I did everything. What is this? <laughs> and the Somnium sections are funny as hell. They are so like they can be really serious when they need to be, of course. But Date and Iba goof off, and they they have like dumb little banter between each other, and it's really in, endearing. Yeah, I I do like uh, that each Somnium does have a narrative purpose. Like what the actual end goal of this puzzle is is tying up to the to the plot. So for uh, Mizuki's uh, dream section or Somnium section is. Hey, in her dream, she's still locked up in this column in the merry-go-round, mentally free her, and whatnot. And so, what uh, what you're doing uh, in these sections is you're kind of investigating in a very 
surreal, arbitrary way that's uh, s- separated, obviously, from reality. And there'll be different like obstacles in the way for you. So in her dream, these merry-go-rounds are um, spinning really fast around this column, so you can't enter it physically, or else you'll like just get knocked off, like because it's spinning so fast. And you have to find a way to kind of open a path towards that. The the thing I don't like is that obviously the things aren't supposed to make sense here, but it's hard sometimes difficult to find the way to your to what you're supposed to be doing under like this sort of like somewhat forgiving time limit, but it is still a time limit. And as you're investigating stuff, sometimes you'll get um, consumables uh, when you select a selection. Like say, like there's this photograph of her mom, and there's but there's an ice pick of uh, uh, on her under her left eye in that photograph. And then you can look at that photograph, and then you have like three options. You can use you can investigate it. It'll cost ten seconds. You can push in that ice pick. It'll cost like thirty seconds. Or you can push it out and may cost like forty seconds, but for some for some of these like choices that you do, let's say investigate, it'll uh, give you back an item that you can consume that will that'll say like one third of it, and that means that if you use this item for a future choice in the puzzle, it'll instead of say an option that takes sixty seconds, if you use that item, obviously it'll consume twenty seconds because it's your yeah, it's one. they're the time they're called timies. Uh, I liked that system as like time went on because it was honestly just kind of when i was playing i was like wow it's like a puzzle game that requires you to think differently than every other puzzle game in existence but and i think as time goes on the timey mechanic is used pretty well whereas like you have to you you make certain choices to get the timeies which are like you know they like half or like nullify like you know the time limit for certain actions so that you can then like easily use the really heavy hitting options or like some will be like you you take a bit of an l in doing this action so that the other actions will then because there's like negative ones as well there's like a lot of going on and it kind of just depends how like because some people i've heard people say it's like trial trial and error and i think that's again simplifying it a bit too much but it is it's fun to just experiment um and they give you like checkpoints to jump back to as well so you can kind of like have a first run where you're just experimenting seeing what works what will do what and then if you need to it's pretty quick to just jump back and then do everything again but one of the my, my favorite things about the somniums is the somniums are where the the game branches which is yeah. really fun um so like while some somniums will have like one solution but in the little flow chart you'll notice that like it can branch off and that's how the game itself branches because you're you're you know you're going into people's brains and you're in a, in certain ways influencing the story based on the imprint you leave on their brains yeah so that that's i i do understand like it is it is does feel like a bit trial and error because the like you can't think logically inside these somnias because what sometimes what you'll do will influence another part of the puzzle there's no way that you could have conceived that would do it i think that's the thing that kind of it's like and like i said it's not like bad it's just different and uh, sometimes yeah, it's, it be, sometimes it's not for everybody sometimes some of these somnias can be a bit lengthy and 
it, it is easy to either jump back to a previous like mental lock checkpoint and it's also easy to kind of just redo the whole thing over because you have this whole dialogue skip system that you can fast forward through and whatnot but it it does you know it, there is a bit of trial and error of like trying to find out like suss out exactly where to go especially when you're trying to find out okay what 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 is the what is the event in this somnium that causes a branch so for Mizuki's uh, Somnium, still very early on, there's no really big spoilers, but there are, like, this is kind of like the big main branching path uh, very early on, and the two results that you come out of this is, hey, you cured um, Mizuki from her uh, temporary uh, traumatized, you know, her temporary instance of being mute due to trauma, or uh, you selected an option in, the, in her Somnium where she remains traumatized and then the story will go in a different branching path from that. And then, you know, as I was going along this traumatized route for Mizuki, you know, there's another instance where I was helping another character, Aset, uh, as they refer to her in the game, uh, pink-haired uh, Let's Player, uh, who, uh, uh, she's a Zoomer. Uh, so there'll be an uh, instance like uh, in her Somnium, or another person's Somnium that involves her, and then you're trying to help her out uh, move move along this Somnium, which will lead down to another path. And then there's another Somnium involving her directly, where you can choose to either believe or disbelieve uh, things that uh, she's saying uh, about the nature of the story. Because there'll be like a, 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 down that path, there'll be something that happens like, wow, I did not expect this coming. And then uh, Aset uh, tells you, Hey, this is what's really going. It's like I don't know if I believe you. That's a lot. That's a lot that you just told me. And then, so you try to dive into her mind and kind of figure out: Are you telling the truth, or are you just bullshitting me, uh, and whatnot? It's it's a really interesting. Um, it's a very do. unique murder mystery game that there's yeah. really nothing else like. And like that's my that's one of my favorite genres of all time. And there's like there's like no games like that anymore. We get maybe one or two murder mystery games a year. If that. So having a game like this was just like, cause again, uh, Uchikoshi, this was his first time doing this. And he kind of, you know, based on, in my opinion, after playing the whole thing, I think he knocked it out of the park. It's my favorite murder mystery game I've played. Um, and I'm just like, I'm excited to hear more about what you think about the game, especially when you start getting into the character roots. Yeah, so right now I'm I'm going down the 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 first one. I went down the the traumatized uh, Mizuki route, but and then I kind of saw not almost not everything that has to to offer, but I did like reach an ending on that, and then uh, the other path uh, is locked. So now I'm kind of making my way back all, all the way to the kind of the first one, and then I unlock the the Mizuki cured, uh, curing her trauma trauma route, uh, and now kind of unfolding events through that and seeing where that's leading me. It's a it's a very intricate uh, story that has uh, a lot of twists and turns, and it it kind of it makes you go like, huh, I didn't see that coming uh, very often, which is really good. But oh yeah, and you're not even like. Sense. You're not even in the deep of it yet. Oh, yeah. it's, it gets so good. It, it also is very aware of like its goofiness, as we established early on. But like, that's not even just through dialogue; it's through like action sequences, in, like throughout the story. It's like that is crazy. Like, um, 
that like there will be the sequence where there's like uh things are happening to you in the real world not in saw not insomnium where i forgot what the name of this cartoon was called way back when i think it was either on nickelodeon or in um cartoon network where i think it was called action man or something and he had this power where there's like uh, he can like freeze an instance of time and kind of figure out like what is the most logical path to get out through the situation, doing the correct actions at the, this correct timing, and what I thought I think that's the name of the show. I can't remember, but there's a similar situation uh, in, during these action sequences where Iba kind of calculates, the, uh, "Hey Date, do this at my command at this exact time. Trust me, it'll work. Just do it," and then. So like it just becomes like a, a weird contraption of like chaos or like you shoot this thing with your gun and then the like say that you're shooting this soda can at this angle with your gun and then the way that you shot that causes the soda can to fly into this thing which causes this other thing to like fly into like a, an attacker's face and whatnot just that that's completely made up but that's how it is and it's just it it. it it becomes more ridiculous after that, but it's very aware of it, and I kind of—it's really funny. And I think I have a sneaky suspicion that somehow, some way, the 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 grunts and the from Metal Gear uh, Solid Peace Walker found their way into this game because they're very easily distracted by very uh, uh, naughty magazines. Oh, it is so. Oh God. <laughs> It's like, all right, all right. Where, where do you guys come from? <laughs> Who are these hired grunts that are just easily, uh, just the, the, just easily get distracted by a naughty magazine? No, um, it's like as soon as the game tries to do action, it just it has so much fun with it, and it's so silly. But it's just like, oh god, it's crazy because the game kind of flips tones so often. But it, like we said earlier, it like it owns up to it, and that's just like that's just the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited. Like you know, I've uh, I've seen enough of Mizuki. Of course, I'm gonna learn more about her. But I've I kind of seen enough at the moment where I've seen like, okay, I I understand why so many people like this character. Like, <laughs> she she is a, she is such a devilish little gremlin, and her dialogue with Date is so snappy and witty, and like she's she's like. Oh, she's great. She's great. I'm I'm really excited to learn more her. about her. She's the and she's the main character of the of the next uh, I I game. So I'm really I'm really curious. You know, it's just it, I'm it's, not sure where I, they're gonna go with that. I have some ideas, but like I'm super stoked. But like, if you like Mizuki now, God, her her character root is probably like one of the highlights of the entire game. Oh, it's so good. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm definitely gonna get this done obviously before the sequel comes out next year. But I'm just happy to you know be on board and uh, really excited, really excited. I, to, to I'll need this. to. I, I'm gonna try to get a, a replay done uh, before then, just because again, like it's just like, God damn, I love that game so much. Yeah, I, you I've, I've spent James the last 15 minutes, or not 15 minutes, 10 minutes trying to like. Google this Action Man show. There was an Action Man TV series from 1995. I don't know if it's the same one Josh is talking about. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what what it was called. Maybe it is. I don't know. But the, it's just yeah. Uh, you, Colin, James, and every single one of my friends who ever like touched this game speak very passionately about it. Like there are just there are other Discord servers I'm on. I'm like saying, hey, I'm playing to this game. And I think it's cool so far. And every single person that's played, it's like, I'm so excited for you, man. I love this character. I love this character. You're at that part. Oh, man. It's like every and you're time. Like, oh, I- slow down. Slow down. Oh, yeah. no. Like, iFans are so passionate. And I think yeah. one of the reasons why so many, because like, 
one of the biggest stigmas around I when it got announced was that a bunch of people, for I think a valid reason, were like, okay, Zero Time Dilemma sucked, which I don't entirely agree with that. I think the game's fun, but that's not the point. Like, Zero Time Dilemma disappointed so many people, so a lot of people did not think that Uchi could deliver. So when people actually ended up playing it, they're like, okay, what is this? This is like kind of his best game. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm very interested to see where, where this, uh, where that, that lands for me in particular. But yeah, that's that really all I had to say about AI Somnium Files right now. It's um, uh, Thank you for saying AI, because I still felt bad about that. I, I just <laughs> I, I actually thought, like, AI. should I pronounce oh, it like a word, or should I say AI? It's probably got to be AI, right? Because that's I what it is. Ways. I call it both ways, so it doesn't right. really well, uh, I, I feel think okay. I feel um, better now. PR calls it I, so hmm. Oh damn. Maybe you should feel bad. Oh, I do already. Okay. All right, good. Uh, I I guess one final note is uh I feel like I have a greater appreciation of this game now than I did initially when I first started it because I didn't get very far when I first started it. Uh because of a, a an anime show called It Invaded, and I think it came out either last year or two years uh, ago, which has a very similar premise not to say a similar tone but it is about like this detective that dives into the minds of people and i really 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 dug that show uh when it came out and uh, like see that this game has like a similar sort of thing going on for it i'm i'm really excited to see where it goes um with that i do have to leave the podcast for today it was really cool no, talking about it was, I. Yeah, yeah, it was cool to get your thoughts on both East and I, and you're chiming in on the other games as well, like Final Fantasy fourteen. So, no, thanks for being on. And do check out, uh, he mentioned his YouTube video earlier. Uh, that's Dr. Cullen, PhD on YouTube. So Yeah, just uh, look for the, the, the weird East 9 video titled East 9 Camping Edition. Is that really what it is? That is what I called the video because I'm, oh. I, I'm not all the way here right now. But all right, there you go. Because here's the thing: like you, you're gonna go on YouTube day East Nine on Switch comes out, and a billion videos are gonna be called East Nine Switch Review. We reviewed East Nine on Switch. East Nine, the Switch port. What do we think? Yeah, like yeah. stuff like that. Just like it's so like. Again, respect for them. They want to have clean cut titles. I, I'm. I want to stand yeah. out. Didn't work, but fuck it. You know. <clears throat> Um, well, uh, we wish you luck in your uh, in your housing developments. So I appreciate. Hopefully, next time we hear from you, yeah, it'll be a better situation. I will, I mean, it's. A, I will say though, it is. I'm very thankful to be uh, offered a chance to live. Um, realistically, I'm not under a bridge. Some friends let me stay with them for a while, and I really appreciate uh, them letting me do that. Um, but uh, I will talk to all of you later. Yeah, uh, thanks for taking the time to chat with us about East Nine. Yeah. And obviously, this is the first time in a while that we brought up AI Somnium Files. I'm black. glad I could start with a downer and end with an all-timer. But <laughs> uh, I got to go get some mouthwash. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs> All right. I've got a story for you guys. There's no, there's no clean way to, to stay away from that. So I'm going to just do this. So uh, it was my birthday a month and a half ago, right? Ooh, so I thought... No, so at the at the start of the podcast, we, I touched on this, and now I'm finally circling back around to it. So uh, part of my birthday, because I don't really ever ask for anything from my family or friends, I just get a bunch of gift cards. I think that's pretty typical for someone my age. Uh, and one of the gift cards I got was for Starbucks. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I don't usually drink Starbucks, but I'll go through the drive-thru if I have a gift card. Uh, so two weeks ago, I, I'm 
picking up groceries or whatever. There's a Starbucks nearby. I'm like, okay, I'll go through and I will uh, use my gift card. I go in, I get a iced dirty chai. That's a chai tea latte with a shot of espresso. Um, espresso. Sorry, I got to say that right. Um, and then I forget to use the gift card. I pay for it. I'm like, damn it. Why did I do that? I just handed <laughs> off my credit card. Uh, so anyways, uh, fast forward to uh, yesterday or the day before. Uh, my car wouldn't start. So I had to have a whole diet adventure to get a new car battery. Anyways, that's not here or there. To, to reward myself, I'm like, okay, I'm going to use my Starbucks gift card now. So I go to the uh, drive-thru. I put a gift card in my hand. I'm like, all right, I'm actually going to use the gift card this time. I go, I pull up to the window and they say, the person in front of you has paid for your, for your, for your drink. So I still have not been able to use my Starbucks gift card yet. And the reason why I share this story is because it is more interesting than my time with the recent update to Fallout 76. Hey, you weren't expecting oh, me to go there, were you? <laughs> Damn. Uh, oh. So uh, I plan to only talk about Fallout 76 for about three minutes, okay? All right. All right. Okay. Uh, back in 2020, maybe 19, I forget, is when they had their big Wastelanders update. This was supposed to be the big fix to the game, actually what they promised they or whatever. And yes, like that was the tagline. And that was such a silly thing to market, but it's what people wanted. And I thought it was better than the base game, but not by much. I think I scored the base game a five and Wastelanders a six. Like, not great. But Wastelanders did set up a decent foundation for what could be a good game, I thought. It added a bunch of like it added two like factions to the game, the settlers and the raiders, and different ways to interact with them and stuff you could do with them every day and have unique gear. And you slowly would tear up uh, your reputation with each of these groups. And then they added stuff with like the Brotherhood and then uh, other things that basically they added different pillars to the game. Where if you wanted to log in frequently, you could have something to do, whether it was a daily op or working on your reputation or working on the new scoreboard system or whatever. And I thought, okay, what's here is still not great, but they have an avenue to go down to improve upon continuously. And I was slightly optimistic still, somehow. Now, in this year and late last year, they've been pushing this Steel Rain, Steel Dawn update. This is when they're making like this big push on the Brotherhood because the Brotherhood's popular, and I guess they're just going back to that well. The Brotherhood is a big faction in pretty much every Fallout game. Uh, maybe not the second one. And they... It just feels like what they're doing now is betraying kind of the foundation that they set up with Wastelanders. What they're basically doing is trying to treat the game as single player as possible, which some people might say, like, that sounds great. I didn't want multiplayer Fallout in the first place. But what it means is, is that all these pillars of possible places that they could have built upon what Wastelanders kind of set the foundation for are just going unused. They haven't added new factions. They haven't added any new like ways to like anything to, like if I log in now and I want to do like, what can I do today? It's pretty much the same things I could have done two years ago. Nothing has really been added. It's just, they added like two hours of story quests and that's pretty much it. And it's just like, at this point, just make another game. I don't know. Like it's, I, I see the sentiment online where people are like, Fallout 76 is good. Now it's like, it's worth playing and it is better than it was, but I still feel like it's a really big missed opportunity. Like they they set up this foundation. They could have been some they could have turned something garbage into something great. Instead, they kind of improved upon it once, I feel like, with Wastelanders, and then they never took it further. So there. That's my rant. I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Sorry. Uh it's okay. I mean, I look, some friends of mine have started playing it, and I don't know if they're having fun with it. They say like if, if they're still playing it, I assume they're I assume they're still having fun with it. 
that's that's my reasoning uh on i guess their experience i don't have to ask them um but it's it's a tough situation because you still want fallout to be somewhat relevant but it's going to be a quite a long time till we like see a new mainline fallout between like we're still waiting for starfield next fall supposedly and yeah. then elder scrolls 6 is uh, years and know, years away Maybe maybe by next decade it'll come out, and then Fallout maybe after that. <laughs> Who knows? I do have one more. I do have one more thing to share. Uh, yeah. So they added this basically the story quest that takes like two hours to complete, and it's pretty much a one and done. And I think that's basically terrible for this game because it might make sense to add like a DLC quest to a single player game, but for a multiplayer game, it means there's nothing to go back to. You just do it once, and then you, you, there's no point. So at the end of the story quest. You end up stopping this team of researchers who are doing basically nefarious things, and they were going to potentially poison the whole area. And you stop them, and you have them basically in your gun sights, and you're making the decision of what to do with them. And what this reminded me of most was, uh, have any of you played the original Infamous? Yes. Yes, I have. in In Infamous, it has like this morality system like, paragon and renegade only dialed up to 20 where it's like you're jesus on earth or you're just like an absolute dick just, it's basically <laughs> yeah basically say yeah i should have just gone straight there jesus and satan and it's kind of reminded me of that you're basically just like you either like completely forgive them wholesale and you're like oh it's okay i know you meant well we'll just take you in and you can continue your crappy research and it's just like that's actually the good option the bad option is just like uh, you will not stand trial. I'm just literally going to gun you down where you stand. And I'm just Hell like, yeah. there's no, there's no like having reparations or no like imprisoning or no like reshuffling their talent. Like there's no nuance at all, which I felt is that that's like a very, that's like a damning thing. And when, when I, when a, when a Western RPG that's supposed to, at least not Fallout 76, but other games in the series, especially the first two that I played a couple years ago, do have some of these like nuanced outcomes for it's not always just goody two shoes or hell on earth. It's there's different ways where you can interact and be like you can be more you can be selfish, you can be evil, you can be kind of good but realistic, or you can just be completely idealistic. There's no nuance here. It's just allow them to do what they were doing or kill them on the spot. And it's just like, I, I stood at that option for a while, not because A, it doesn't matter. It's a multiplayer game and they can't obviously do any sweeping changes to the map or the game because they can't have your experience be different from the person logging in next to you. You know what I mean? Like they can't, they are literally handcuffed from being able to do any major sweeping changes. So, you know, like A, this option doesn't matter and B, the option sucks because like, I don't agree with either of these two choices. Uh, so yeah, uh, it wasn't good. There you go. Do you, th- do you think that eventually they're gonna go take like a a World of Warcraft Cataclysm type expansion to Fallout seventy six and like have it so they drastically change up the landscape somehow or the state of the world? I feel like well, so everything so far, at to their credit, everything so far has been free. This is truly a buy to play game. You pay the whatever, whatever you find it cheapest, the CD key, whatever you find it for. If you find it for ten bucks, you get access to everything. Uh, with the exception that there is an optional premium sub, which doesn't get you much, to be honest. I think if they really want to do something major, I don't know if it's a budgetary thing, but I feel like it's got to be like a paid box product where like you pay 20 bucks for Fallout 76 California or whatever. I don't know. Um, and then they add a new map or really go deep and adding different factions or adding new types of quests or types of gear or types of armor. Because right now it just seems so incremental that there's no point to it 
Doesn't were you gonna isn't say? Fallout seventy six part of uh, Game Pass? Is it maybe? Yeah, uh. maybe. Yeah, it is. What, what I was gonna say is um, they've got that expeditions thing coming up. Yeah. I'm gonna keep games the game the installed service. because. Woo! Yeah, I'm gonna keep the game installed just because like I kind of want to be here to like chronicle it in some sad way. Uh, but it's just man, Wastelanders had potential and they just I feel like they squandered it. That's my that's my take so far. So. I think I speak yeah. for everyone. I know, like I say, a number. We'd rather but... hear you play it than play ourselves. So, like, please, by all means, yeah, keep I, playing I, it. Uh, the way the way that James uh, worded it, the cross I must bear. Yeah, yeah I, I live vicariously through you, and now my my friends who are uh, dipping their toes into it, and they see how far that goes. It's it's cool, I guess. All right, so that, there was no clean way to segue from these nice talks about Final Fantasy fourteen and East and. Uh, AI. Uh, so there, I? I just randomly like I just I just like upended the upended the the raft with my Fallout rant. So uh, let's move on. How about we uh, backtrack to me so I can talk about playing Metroid? See what I did there. Uh, that sounds that that sounds that sounds more interesting. There you go. And just yeah. Like so so I've always been kind of like a soft Metroid fan. Like I played Metroid Prime Three. And I've played Super Metroid, but I haven't played too much of the series. I need to play Wait. Metroid Prime 1 too. I need I to. I was about to say, uh, like, uh, you're missing a big one right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Metroid, like, the original Metroid Prime is literally one of the best games ever made. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so with uh, Dread coming out, I was like, hey, I should at least play the 2D Metroid games and probably the 3D Metroid games eventually. Like so... Other M, right? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Other so, uh, uh, other have existed. Yep, and nothing's been the same since. But so I played through Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero uh, Zero Mission last week, and uh, I have I have thoughts. So I'll be honest: playing Super Metroid before those two games was a deliberate decision by my part. I remember back when I played Super Metroid, the reason why I wanted to play it was, well, I'm not going to play the original Metroid. I'm not going to play Metroid 2 because both of those got remakes. But I don't want to play like Fusion or Zero Mission first, even though well, I I don't want to play Zero Mission first, but even though it's like the first in the series, it's just a remake because, well, the gameplay is different. So I kind of want to play in gameplay order, less so story order, because he actually cares about this, the Metroid storyline. Other M did. So yeah, uh, I finally played Fusion. I was kind of curious how I'd feel about it, because every time you see people talk about Fusion, it seems like there's very much a narrative that it's one of the weaker Metroid games. And I'm not actually sure how I feel about uh, how I feel about that, because it's definitely more linear. But when it came out, the only ever handheld Metroid game was Metroid 2, which is way more linear than Fusion is and way more handholdy than Fusion is, even though people say, well, you have to go to these navigation rooms and they point you directly to where you need to go. And it's like. it's. Not really like that when you go back to play it today. 
because yeah, you have Adam and yeah, he says, oh, you need to do this thing, but it's not like they directly point you to it because there will be many cases where it's like, well, you need to unlock the security lock, but due to protocol, we can't tell you where the security lock is on the map or, oh, you need to get to this data room, but in order to get to it, you need to find an upgrade to get into it. And that's not marked on the map. And yeah, you're going from section one section of the space station to another, and those are somewhat like self-contained, but you kind of do that in Super Metroid 2. It's just not like framed through a story aspect of, oh, you're going to each of these regions in order. And even then, much like in Super Metroid, you go back to these other regions throughout the story with uh, when you get different power-ups, when you want to explore and get like these collectibles and whatnot. And I feel like a lot of people are kind of missing the forest for the trees because fusion has a bit more of a story narrative. And because it has a bit more of a structure to it, they don't realize that the actual act of playing it is really not that different from the rest of the series. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I really enjoyed my time with it. I like how I, I like the SAX segments. I like how you always have to, I know it's all scripted. I know there's only a few points in the game where you're going to run into it, which is if you haven't played um, Fusion, the whole deal is, is that at the beginning of the game, uh, Samus is infected by this ex-parasite and eventually it turns out, oh, the infected parts of her armor that were removed when uh, she was administered the uh, vaccine for the ex-parasite have basically morphed into a version of her at full strength that's a heartless killing machine. It's an interesting narrative hook. I like the idea of every so often running into the SAX and basically having to be careful or having to book it. It's a, a nice change of pace from like the rest of the series, which I guess I'll get get into when I talk about Zero Mission. But like, has anyone else here played Fusion? I'm assuming. Fusion. Yeah, I, I yeah. played those. Um, I think I played all the 2D Metroid games, but yeah, I really like that uh, the SAX sessions were like you said they're they're very heavily scripted and like you know that's the intended route, but they have a nice tension to them that it feels like you know you're actually booking it for your life. Like oh god, fuck <laughs> it. And I, I, I just the fusion the fusion suit like is still one of my favorite uh, Samus suits. Yeah, um, I'll outright say that I actually did enjoy Fusion more than Zero Mission. I think. I can see that. Uh, I did too. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that someone agrees. Yeah, Zero Mission is still a fantastic game. And it's like, I just think that Fusion feels more unique. Whereas yeah. Zero Mission, obviously, it's a remake of the first game, but it also, like, it's funny. Like, both Metroid and Star Fox have this problem where some of their sequels are basically just, even if they're, like, narratively different, from a gameplay perspective, they're exactly the same. Like, you fight so many of the same bosses in Zero in, in Metroid 1 and Super Metroid. And many of the areas in the games look similar, even if there are some layout changes. And I think one of the things I really appreciate about Fusion is that it does... It feels like the most unique 2D Metroid in the series, having now played... All of them. I still need to play Samus Returns. That's the next one. Oh, that's, and I'll be oh, that's ready gonna to go. ask. Like, uh, when you said you played all of them, Josh, have you played Samus Returns? Yeah, that was one of my last 3DS games that I, <sighs> I did along with like WarriorWare Gold. For everyone, I think. 
<laughs> like we yeah. were talking about the 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 Metroid storyline earlier, and one thing I've never played Samus Returns, but one thing that I heard, and I, I only heard this, and I'm not spoiling anything, is that apparent. So the 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 Metroid storyline has always been like the main progression from the Japanese side, and then the Prime games, obviously developed in uh, in, in USA, were kind of like this almost like anime filler. But apparently, like Samus Returns, like brings the Prime story into the fold in some way so like dread could go either way like it could incorporate all that stuff of course you go back to like well who cares <laughs> who cares about the story but i just thought that was interesting well, about that, that boat like... of like i don't really care about the metroid story i'm, I'm in it for the exploration and the gameplay and like just the feeling of like I, i'm more in it for the atmosphere more so than the narrative yeah hooks. i just thought it was interesting that they bothered that like i guess samus returns because of how it ends allows that to be true allows like metroid prime 4 to both involve obviously the metroid storyline and the main storyline or and then metroid dread to tie into that obviously we'll see well actually no um i so i don't care too much about the metroid storyline but the reason why samus returns ties into prime is that on the timeline prime takes place between two and three between which one what's two and three sorry uh metroid 2 and uh super metroid oh okay that's what you meant okay yeah, so, so I I want to play Samus Returns at some point, but like even by the time it released, I was like done with the 3DS, <laughs> and I think that's true yeah. for a few people. But yeah, it'd be cool if they like packed it in with Dread or something like that. But you know, yeah, no yeah I, I think I still think AM2R is the better Metroid 2 remake, but Samus Returns is okay. It has some neat like movement gimmicks. That, uh, yeah. That now, it. for all I said about not giving a shit about the Metroid storyline, I do think it's interesting, like playing fusion realizing what might happen with shred there's like a couple of avenues they can go for and like the whole thing where it's like doubling down on the horror aspect it's like man i wonder if they'll go this route or if it's going like twist is going to be this because there's going to be a twist i think everyone's kind of just expecting that Amos and... turns into a metroid Sorry. well um... she is the dread <gasps> <gasps> well but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Um, so Zero Mission, one thing immediately I recognize is that there's like these kind of like comic book cut out like cut scenes for them, which I recognize the artists. I don't remember what they are, who they are specifically, but I want it like yeah, it's obvious that like Nintendo worked with this like literal comic book artist, not manga, like Western comic book artists for like some of the cut scenes and like the character designs in these cut scenes. Like you can tell it by... God, I forget. Josh, do you know who I'm talking? You know what I'm talking about? I, I I don't know the name either, but yes, I, I yeah, know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like a very specific art style. Like it's this because it, it's the lips. Like you look at the lips and you instantly like if you if you've seen that comic and I forget the name of the comic, you know what I'm talking about. But I'm trying to but Google it, lips. but I'm failing. I'm like, oh. like, like, like the cobwebs are like slowly getting cleared, but I'm just like, oh yeah, that that did yeah, that was a thing. But man, I don't remember. But it's like, so Zero Mission's great. I'll just outright say, if you're going to play Metroid 1 in the modern day and age, play Zero Mission. Don't play the original. It's like, there's no map, unless you're going to have to, like, literally draw out a map for you anyways. And let's be honest, anyone that's playing Metroid in this day and age is probably using, like, a map guide any to begin with. But, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, um... I do think that of the two, it's the more polished game compared to Fusion. And I think that the difficulty curve is a little better in the sense that uh, 
Infusion, if you want to get the upgrades to your uh, suit and all that, there's some really painful, um, like, Shine Spark puzzles you need to do in order to actually get, like, some of the energy tank upgrades and the missile, like, upgrades and whatnot. In Zero Mission, it's, like, if you want... There are Shine Spark puzzles you can do for sequence breaking. Like, I did one to get uh, the power missiles earlier than originally intended. And which actually meant that I ended up skipping a boss I could that I was supposed to fight that I just didn't, which is funny. But um, I will say that I've really enjoyed the new segment they kind of staple on to the back half of the game, like after the ending of the original Metroid, the zero suit like mission and all that. It definitely feels more like fusion in the sense that there is stealth. You're like. You have to uh, be uh, careful before you're moving and hide around. And it has this amazing moment where, like, in early on in the section, you're hiding in the shadows as the space pirate's walking by because you can't deal with them. And then later on, once you get your suit back and you're, like, rampaging throughout the entire place, you'll see a space pirate basically hiding in the same spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you I can just that. leave them and you can just leave them alone and walk past, like, which I did. And it's just like, that's just. I love when games do stuff like that. Just it, it is that turning point of like you're not. Stu- I'm not stuck here in the room with you. You're stuck here in the room with me. Yep. But yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, both the GBA Metroid games are absolutely worth playing. Like, there's just some of the best Metroidvanias out there. Like, obviously. And uh, now that I've played all of the Metroidvania games on the Game Boy Advance, I can say that they're all pretty good. Like the uh, three uh, Castlevania games are pretty good. Aria Sorrow is the only one that I'd say is like a a real like masterpiece. Uh, the other two are good, but both the Metroid games on Game Boy Advance are just like the, play them. Just just play them. They're not long. They're like four hours if you take your time. So I could not I find the artist that. for Zero Mission, but I did find a YouTube video for Metroid Zero Mission Beta. Where it had more of a chibi art style, and apparently it changed late in development. So yeah, there's some context. So I think the only person that hasn't had a chance to speak is Adam. But if I know him well enough, I think I know what he's going to say. Uh, Adam, do you want to take the opportunity to talk about your time with Final Fantasy One and Two Origins versions? Not really. <sighs> I knew it. Final Fantasy, or so why are you deciding to play Final Fantasy 1 and 2 now, ahead of the Pixel Remasters? So, really, the only thing is, is that I play, the only version of Final Fantasy 1 I played was the GBA and the PSP versions, which are basically the same. They look different, but they're basically the same. And then, I've always been meaning to play the earlier versions of Final Fantasy 1, uh, specifically 1, because it has a different magic system. And on paper, if you don't think about it, that's like that might may not seem like a big deal, but because the original versions of Final Fantasy One use like they use like wizardry like charges instead of MP, it really changes how you approach like exploring dungeon areas or um, essentially your resource management as you go. So it really changes the complexion of the game quite a bit just from that alone. So I really wanted to try that out. Um, I know the I, I don't know exactly what the pixel remasters will use, but I just kind of figured eh, Final Fantasy One is not that long a game. I can go ahead and knock out a 
I'm playing the uh, PS1 version, which is the origin version uh, of the game. And then Final Fantasy II, the, uh, the PS1 version isn't very different from the PSP and GBA versions in terms of like a big magic change. I believe it is a little bit more difficult in terms of which I think that's actually kind of fun because uh, the the PSP GBA versions of Final Fantasy II, once you kind of know what you're doing, are kind of a cakewalk. But I just think I'll play that one as well. So Final Fantasy II is good. I don't care what anyone else says. It's my favorite, or it is my favorite of the first three. And you're right, and you should say it. Yeah, I agree with that uh, too. I think the worst one is actually Final Fantasy Free on the Nintendo, but a lot of people yeah, disagree because it has a job system. Yeah, I am the... interested to play the uh, the two D version of three because I've only played the remake. One of the things that I've been like, kind of like the ideas I've been kind of like picking around for a bit is I actually feel like in a lot of ways Final Fantasy two feels like more of a Final Fantasy three than actual Final Fantasy three because like. You look at Final Fantasy 4, and it seems like, from a narrative aspect at least, it takes more from Final Fantasy 2. And, like, Final Fantasy 2, like, adds way more to the series than Final Fantasy 3 does mm-hmm. for, like, long-standing lore. Like, it's the first one that has chocobos. It's the first one that has a behem- behemoth and stuff like that. It's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Final Fantasy 3 is, like... The diet water of Final Fantasy, I feel like. Or it's just like, does it add anything? I played through that 3D version back when it came out, and the and I don't remember like a, a single thing about it. And apparently that 3D version is like got even more story involvement than the original version of three, which we're gonna get where it's not the named characters, it's like the onion night the onion kids or something. I didn't even know about that until people started like talking about it some side by side, uh, with the characters, what they're called and, and what their backgrounds is in the 3D version versus the original version. So yep. I think with Final yeah, Fantasy 2, the, the weirdest part about 2, and I think caught a lot of people off guard when it first released, you know, in the West, which was be the PS1 version, I believe, is that it does not use, it uses the Saga-style stats versus, like, EXP and levels. And early on, it can be a little weird, like, how do I get you any stronger? Like, this doesn't make any sense, and people just kind of, you know, tossed it aside. But one kind of understand how it, how it works and this is basically the system that they brought into Saga, it's really not that bad. Like even, even the version I'm playing, which is a little bit tr- uh, tougher to play, um, once you kind of get past that little opening hump of the game, and you gain some, some HP to work with, for example, and you gain like your first two or one or two weapon like proficiency levels, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm going through the game most, most of the time just pressing attack, healing when i get weak like it, it doesn't require much strategy that not really so but at least you playing through these two games even though you can't really talk about them at length now it'd be interesting once you play the pixel remasters you'll have them fresh in your mind you'll be able to compare and contrast really well uh what these versions are like that you can play in ps3 versus obviously the pixel remasters which uh, as we talked about are only on um Steam and mobile for some reason. I, I did like the uh, first three hours of the first Final Fantasy on PSP because I was setting up my PS TV like a, a weekend or two ago, and just to get it like make sure it was working, I, I just put up the first Final Fantasy first playthrough. I not first playthrough, uh, uh, a fresh playthrough, and then yeah, I was like, oh yeah, this is what it looks like. By, by the way, there uh, there is a feature up on the site that uh, Alex Donaldson put together 
Basically, we, we talked last time about how these pixel remasters are based on the original versions of the game. So they don't have PSP content. They don't have GBA extra dungeons. Uh, so he basically went through all six games and talked about what's missing from each. Missing is kind of a weird way to put it. What is failing to be re-added, I suppose? Uh, because like Final Fantasy 1 won't have the Soul of Chaos dungeon or the Labyrinth of Time. Uh, you obviously won't get the... Uh, the Dragon's Den, the big extra post-game dungeon in Final Fantasy VI once that releases in the Pixel Remaster. So basically just like, here's all the stuff that's in, that has been in subsequent re-releases of the game that aren't in the next re-release. So we'll have to wait for like the next rendition of these to get the Pixel Remaster version that includes this stuff. It's weird to think about, but that that's up on the site. It basically is just more of a an info dump more than anything. Like here's all the stuff that has been added that won't be in these uh, these versions of the game. And then I did misspoke earlier. Uh, we've got too many people on this podcast. Uh, George, even though he was able to talk a little bit about East Nine and a few other things, he actually did not get to talk about what he had listed on the on the uh, on our little outline here. So, uh, George, what did you want to talk about? Yeah, to be fair, mine is like the outlier, as it often is. A little bit of background: um, I've been playing Watch Dogs Legion Bloodline, which is the DLC for Watch Dogs Legion, uh, and it introduces Aiden Pierce and Wrench, and it's a whole new story. Aiden uh, Pierce is back. <gasps> okay, yeah. okay. I must be. I must like not be in whatever bubble the Watchdog news dumps end up in because a I did not know Watchdog Watchdogs Legion had a DLC. When you typed in here Watchdog Legion's Bloodline, I thought you were like making a joke or something. So I'm like, is that a thing? And then you're telling me Aiden Pierce shows back up. I'm like, whoa! I never heard about this. Like, whatever, yeah, wherever this news ended up, I did not. I just completely passed me by. Anyways, continue. It's gone really under the radar. Um, for background, Watch Dogs 2 is my favorite open world game of all time. I like I adore that game. It is so underrated. It has so much character, so much heart. Um, Watch Dogs Legion is one of the biggest disappointments I've ever played in my life. Like It took all of the goodwill that Watch Dogs 2 had and just went, yeah, all those characters you liked, they're randomized now. You, you can be a granny and taser people. Ooh, it's like, that's yeah, not what wacky. people liked about Watch Dogs yeah. 2. Yeah, and it, it didn't vibe me at all. Um, and I saw this DLC was coming out, Bloodline, and I was like, you know what? Like, if it fixes the problems, you know, it's got characters. It has characters that I like. I like Wrench from Watch Dogs 2, and Aiden Pierce is okay. So I was like, okay, maybe this this will be, like, the Watch Dogs sequel I wanted. Uh, and it kind of is. Like, it's actually, like, really good. I 100%ed it. Uh, it only took, like, eight hours to do, because it's DLC. But, like, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it just takes what Watch Dogs Legion did well, which was the hacking stealth gameplay, and gives you a reason to give a crap about it. Like, Legion, I'm going back through the main story now of Legion just to finish it, just to say, look, I've done it, I can I can critique it, I finished it, you know? Um, and it's just so weak, because there's no opportunity to develop your characters, because they all have to be templates. Like, every single character will have the same sort of response to a line of dialogue in the cutscenes, and it's just... It just doesn't work. It's just not an interesting world. Uh, and I say that as someone, like, London should be ideal. London should be, like the world I want to explore because obviously it's an area I can get to it's four hours away from me that's you know virtual tourism at its best but it's just so depressing it's so like post Brexit it's so post like the world going to shit and it's just a really depressing landscape and you compare that to Watch Dogs 2 which has San Francisco and it's so colorful and like lovable it's so full of character uh and yeah so Watch Dogs 2 is just absolutely incredible so go play that if you haven't 
Uh, I don't know why it's become like my favourite when there are arguably better games out there. It's just the one that resonated with me the most. Uh, and I'd just like to shout out and say that uh, Bloodline is <laughs> like a return to form for Watch Dogs. It is what Watch Dogs 3 should have been. Uh, I hope that's where they go with the next one. I hope they realise that the Watch Dogs fans like me, like there were scenes, I won't spoil it, uh, I don't think anyone cares, but <laughs> I won't spoil it anyway. So, like, the, this DLC is, like, more of a linear story structure on, like, the, the yeah, weird yeah. reform thing that Legion was trying to go forward. Like, you could be any NPC. None of that. The, you can only play as Aiden and Wrench. Um, okay. Technically, Legion does have, like, it's still quite structured, but, again, like you say, it's a bit more open because it has to allow for, like, different characters. Uh, and that's interesting in itself. Like, that's a cool mechanic. Uh, and it is really impressive, like, not to slag off Ubisoft like that, well, I don't care about slagging off Ubisoft, but, um, but not to, like, discredit the work, because it, it is a really interesting system. Like, actual dialogue, you're not, like, weird, some weird AI procedurally generated... Exactly, yeah, thing. so it's like, yeah. something happens, and they have a response that has been, like, scripted and, like, thought about to match their character. It's not just, like, something explodes and they all go like one variation of saying shit but maybe one of them says it in like an old lady voice it's now like wrench will make a joke that is something wrench would say um and as a watchdogs nerd like watchdogs one's okay but watchdogs two like i say chef's kiss uh it's there's so much there for watchdogs two fans like i i don't want to spoil it i don't want to say but like there were moments toward the end that had me like squealing like it's just like this is all i wanted this is all i wanted from this dlc about uh, watchdogs one fans is there something there for them well, I guess Aiden's Aiden, there. Yeah, Aiden's there. <laughs> and he's actually a character now. Like, oh, okay. It was one, he's just angry, and in this, he gets a character arc. Um, and it's a, it's a good one, but he's still, like, kind of boring. He's still not any of the characters from Watch Dogs 2, and he still isn't my pick. But, you know, Aiden fans will be pleased, and Wrench fans will be, like, over the moon. And Marcus fans might be a little bit happy, too. Like, there's some references in there to him. Uh, yeah, like, go check it out. I usually don't rate DLCs. I don't really have the time to, like, play more content, but for Bloodline, it's, like, what I actually wanted from the game in the first place. It feels worth it. So, like, all you Watch Dogs 2 fans out there, like me, go check it out. Go all check dozen out. of you. <laughs> yeah, or, like, five of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool that you're give us a chance to talk about that game, even just very briefly, because otherwise it would have completely passed me by. I had no idea what it was, but now I know. Even in a very like casual sense, that Watch Dogs Legion has a DLC that's actually pretty decent. That fan, that at least one fan of the series thought was a return to form. Uh, we did already shout out the um, the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster list that Alex put together, and the East Nine uh, PC port impressions, basically that Adam put together. The only, the only thing, other thing I do want to shout out as it released this week was that Colin and James have been working really hard on putting up a couple guides for Monster Hunter Stories too. So if you're playing those games and you have questions about things, just uh, check out and see what we've got listed. All right. The main news of the week was something that just happened. Well, I say main news. It's the one I listed first. So therefore, it is the main news. Uh, is something that just happened last night. This was something we touched on earlier. The 14-hour streaming event slash live letter number 65 for Final Fantasy XIV leading into the Endwalker expansion. So this was a lot of going over details that had already been announced earlier this year, but obviously giving them more context, obviously showing a bit more detail about stuff like the new classes, the uh, the new race combinations, like the male Viera and things like that. I am, as always, when we talk about Final Fantasy XIV, not the best, most equipped person to deal with this. Of course, I could go through the bulleted list, but I think it's more smart to hand it over to someone like James, 
who could go speak into detail about what exactly was shown uh, in the uh, last live letter. So unfortunately, I did not watch it. And Nova Crystallis, which is the source we're using for this, is not loading right now. Okay. I thought you did watch it, though, because we were, we were streaming last night and you were going over uh, what, what they were talking uh, about. Well, no, no, no. Like the, uh, yeah, the benchmark dropped and the trailer for it dropped. And I looked at that and the, they showed off some oh. some of the job gear. So that's something like they showed it for oh, right. that, that was Paladin, yeah. Warrior. I guess they just showed all of the level 80 job gear. So that's something, I guess. I did see that lots of people really liked. I already saw like some mm-hmm. fan art of the new white mage gear. Just people really love that one. People are like going, I guess, man, is overseeing must be whatever job that, that they trailer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the benchmark trailer, apparently, I don't have any of the context to understand what was shown, but apparently it's a bunch of like what ifs just to kind of like test the engine. Like it's not supposed to make narrative sense. It's just supposed to be like hype. Uh, I did see like someone... all the characters there fighting. But yeah, a lot of the uh, stuff here in the uh, summary, even I, as an outsider, know that they already talked about like the data center transfers and the uh, the pandemonium raid and stuff like that. But I, they just gave more context to all this stuff. Like I do know they show a bunch, they showed the character creator uh, with some of the options for like the male Viera and like what you have, what you can do there and things like that. Like I think the live letter is more like a smaller scale kind of operation. Like they don't really, you know explain new things it's just them to go over like a recap of what went through this year and like a roadmap of things to come like they don't even have like uh koji fox for like these events so there's no live translation and you'll be just like watching it in all japanese right right it is um they did say yeah you say roadmap they do talk about some of like the seasonal events returning like leading up to launch i guess i guess the bigger news thing out of this live letter is not so much about like upcoming Endwalker stuff, but the the things that uh, special guests uh, Yoko Taro and Yosuke Saito were able to pull out of Yoshipi for his other works in the, in the yeah. Ranking. I was actually gonna get to that, but I'm like, how much time? Like, this is a Final Fantasy 14 event. Should we just, just skip straight ahead to the uh, the other thing he mentioned. Uh, but yes, uh, Naoki Yoshida is obviously also the producer of the upcoming Final Fantasy 16, and that has been pretty much, to my understanding, absent. The whole calendar year the last time we could really talk about it was when they talked about the nations and the three main characters like last october uh and we were expecting some news this year at some point and maybe at tgs well basically that's been shot down uh yoshida well, basically stated hmm? that's not necessarily what he says maybe lo- yeah if you look at what he says he says that he doesn't he doesn't think they might be able to he's not saying that it won't happen he says that he he think it's not likely is yeah i understood that it's a lot lot of big wording but let's get let's get to actually what was like said rather than like what ifs and what what yeah so uh, i think it's a good thing you know i like the final fantasy games they always like show like way too early it's like here we're gonna show you this game and uh you wait like a next year for a trailer. So here are the here are the four nuggets of information. The first one is is that the main scenario writing is completed. So obviously a good benchmark to have. So obviously at that point you can follow up with voiceover. And they said that the English voiceover is nearing completed or wrapping up, depending on which translation you use. But basically it seems like the English voiceover is pretty far along and nearly done. The third bit was that they say essentially not to expect it at Tokyo Game Show. And then the fourth thing is kind of a reasoning for it is because, and you saw some of this when they first revealed it, how it was a gameplay reveal and not a, uh, maybe not a gameplay reveal, but it wasn't just a CG trailer. It actually showed like in-engine stuff. 
And basically, they don't want, they want when people see this, the next time they show it, whether that's a TGS or Game Awards or whatever avenue they do it, they want it to be nearing completion in a position where they've maintained a high level of quality, that they're proud of what they've shown, that people are able to essentially pre-order the game and that, that, that they can actually have the opportunity to do that as soon as they see it because they want the next showing to be basically as convincing as possible rather than this year-long uh, drip feed of information. So that was kind so, of all the context all the, on all the uh, Final Fantasy 16 sort of stuff that, yeah, that Yoko Taro was able to, to pull out of Yoshida even though yeah. it was a, um, a 14 event. Yeah, and yeah. It, makes sense. it makes sense because that, a lot of the talk out of that Final Fantasy 16 debut trailer for better or worse was a lot of people saying, wow, this game looks, you know, it doesn't look up to par to like what we expect out of like a brand new Final Fantasy game. It looks visually underwhelming, blah blah blah, and all that stuff. So I I definitely uh, you know agree with uh, Yoshida's line of reasoning of like, hey, you know what? Next time you really want to wow people when you show it again. Like I I really respect the initial reveal of Final Fantasy 16 of it being an actual showcase gameplay, of what you said yeah. in engine, what the gameplay might look like instead of like that just a, a two minute CGI trailer of like. What the hell is this game, you know? Yep. Um, so yeah, it seems like the rest of the live letter was just like Q&A about like all sorts of stuff that's kind of spoilery if you haven't caught up with 14. And since Chow is in this chat, I am not going to really go over it. Um, the other big thing is just they kind of detailed, like we had like a time frame for like the calendar for seasonal events and when like the Final Fantasy 15 collaboration was going to be coming back. But we didn't have any specific dates. We now have specific dates. The Final Fantasy 15 uh, crossover will return on. So it's in, they said September, and it's going to be. Well, they. Where's the date? They, they said, like, I saw that they announced it. Well, anyways, they said September. They gave a specific date. Novus Crystallis does not have it on their article. Weird, but yeah. Uh, yeah, just basically a bunch of reiterations of uh, what's going on, and whatnot. Also, yeah, so, so it seems like the highlights were the the character creators that they shown off, and then the uh, the job outfits. What's the what's, uh, course, what's the, the date of the bench, benchmark? It's coming up soon, right? It's coming out tomorrow. Okay. What are you going to try it out and see if you if your PC's good enough to handle Final Fantasy fourteen, Josh? Uh, I'm not gonna. Uh, my PC is not good enough for anything, so it's not worth it. Why we were alive not, not good enough for anything. So yeah, a lot of the stuff that they've shown here is kind of a recap of stuff they already talked about, but just basically some finer details for those that are really wanting to swim in it, like exactly how the belt removal will work. I know how out of context that sounds really silly, but it makes sense. There was another uh, kind of a game announcement this week. It was technically announced earlier this year uh, from Gust, new blue reflection projects. We had the trio of projects. I remember talking about this on a podcast. Mm -hmm. We had a new sequel series, a new mobile game, and a new anime, but we only really had the title cards and a confirmation from publisher Koei Tecmo that they would come west. And then early last week, we got kind of this very vague tease that Gust was going to show something on the 6th, and it turns out it was just more details on Blue Reflection Second Light. So basically, like this game was already announced, but here was its actual like re real reveal. It is coming out for PlayStation 4 and Switch, on October 21st in Japan, even though we got the earlier announcement that it would come west, no further details on that quite yet. Along with the re uh, reveal of the game, we finally got a, a real look at it, uh, bios of all the characters, uh, screenshots, and 
a few details about how all the game is organized. So, in order to lead this off, has anyone here played Blue Reflection, the first one? No. Uh, I beat the first one and written the guide for it. Oh, so I even got a platinum perfect. trophy. <laughs> how interested are you in a uh, uh, second uh, light? Um, you know, I wasn't like the first Blue Reflection wasn't terrible, but it has a lot of performance issues and and stuff and uh it's a pretty unpolished game in my opinion like like i think like the sequel might have a lot of chance to fix all that so i might be interested in seeing where it goes and it does seem like me as an outsider again that it that it does have a returning character like the protagonist of the first game is a, is a party yeah, member but it, of this game so it looks like they are tethered together in that way but the description says uh, she doesn't have any memories, so I don't know what that leads to. But uh, but yeah, the... I, I, I see, I, I'm looking at the character bios here, and it seems like she also lost her memories. She also lost her memories. So apparently, that's a, a very uh, key story part of the game is that uh, amnesia is contagious. But I, I think she's probably uh, traumatized at the ending of the original game, and that's probably why she doesn't have her memories. That's what I'm guessing, but I don't know. Like. Well, we'll have to wait for the game to come out to to further dive into that. Can you explain it to like on five, like how the first game plays? Is it an action RPG? Is it more like a it's a, a turn based RPG? Or... Oh, it's uh, turn based. Okay. Um, and there's a little bit of school sim, but it's not really well designed. You basically it's like a persona kind of calendar. You just spend your days hanging out with your friends, but there's no consequences. There's no tight schedule. You could just keep hanging out with your friends until you know until you could trigger the next event scene. That's basically it, right? Yeah, it's just uh, it's like a the, their whole picture is like it's a magical girl RPG. So, like at some points during the story, you'll get transported to like another like alternate world, like an alternate dimension, to deal with like a girl's traumas or de- or whatever drama they're going to. It's like a, some it could be like as uh, uh, as minute as like, hey, I don't know if this boy likes me or not, and then that's a perspires some sort of drama in them, and then you go into your magical girl outfit and kind of deal with that. There are some. Parts in the story, that's where this is where I got up to in the first Blue Reflection a few months ago, where like some of these enemies will breach reality and like invade your school, sort of like almost Evangelion style, almost. Um, and that's kind of the like the one neat thing about it that I it was kind of okay. Uh, besides like the the soundtrack. The soundtrack is heavily praised by like even people who don't like play the game are like this uh, this game has a cool soundtrack. And it seems that's the one like thing that's they're they're bringing back besides the main character into the uh, sequel it, is like the same uh composer it's done by the same person that did ali Riza, but i think this is like the first time he did anything for gus i think or one of the earlier works yeah i've been, I've been actually keeping up with that uh anime uh that they're doing for blue reflection it's not an anime adaptation of the first year it's like a whole entirely new thing yeah apparently people are saying the anime is like surprisingly good so yeah I'm... there are some like, like yeah that's not, there's like some standout episodes that like it's like man if this had a bit more budget like it'd be like really good like that's kind of like the weird thing about the show is it's surprisingly solid unfortunately like it's just like the development budget behind it isn't that great so it comes off very cheap looking it has some weird artistic like directions to it but overall it's like it's decent maybe, it's solid maybe the blu-ray affects it that, that's the so weird they, thing. So, is they, that, so the that, anime project that they announced is a separate from the one you're talking about, right? There's another one. There, I mean, no. The, the no, they're, they're different projects. Oh, it's the same it's one. Like, oh, okay. Like the the three projects for Blue Reflection, Blue Reflection are, are a mobile game, an anime, and this new g- console game, and they're all separate. 
from what I understand. Yeah. And that like the, this new game is that seems like it has no relation to the anime. Um, the weird thing that you brought up with the Blu-rays is they they canceled like separate like the six separate volume releases for the Blue Reflection anime. I assume they they canceled it because they're gonna make it a more of a collector's edition of like hey a collector's box set one and two for the for the show because the show is like apparently it's a two core show it's gonna have twenty four episodes so wow. Um, but I mean, anyways, well, yeah. I, hopefully this ho- hopefully this console sequel is better than the first game and you know they really go all the way with it. Maybe they're trying to try like a Ryza approach and maybe this will be a vastly superior sequel. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, sorry to backtrack a bit, but I found the actual like uh, quote that Yoshi P made, and he said, "We want to. Uh, we really want to show something for Tokyo Game Show 2021, but we probably can't make the, that deadline." This is That's... for Final Fantasy yeah. 16. Uh, yeah. I'm good with that. You know, I'm tired of like seeing these companies always trying to push for something to show, and when they got nothing to show, you know, it just leads to disappointment. I mean, okay, yeah, we got we got to move on. We're on a blue reflection right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, but, I played the like first we're... game. It's on Polish, so I think it's it's a good chance to try it, the sequel. I'm looking forward to it, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah so they have, they October have, like, 21st, but no no Western announcement yet. We know it's coming to the West, but no no details. Yeah. And there's one other detail we forgot to mention. The first game also tried to push for a Vita port. I'm not sure if anyone touched the game on the Vita. Uh, did that get a Vita release? No way. In Japan, it did. <laughs> Uh, huh, okay, weird. It, it's like there's it has some... performance issues on the PS4. I can't imagine playing it on the Vita. Yeah, um, apparently, people did uh do a translation patch for the Vita version using the PS4 slash PC release as a base. So, if you buy a uh, Vita copy and have a hacked Vita, you can play it in English on Vita if you want to for some reason. So, my follow up question is then the first game released on PC, yes, it did. Yes. All right. So, because the second game, as as of right now, uh, uh, the at least the title that Adam wrote up, or sorry, Kite wrote up, says PlayStation Four on Switch on October twenty first. No, the the so. second game has been confirmed to have a PC release in the West. Oh, so, so it's for the Western release. So, so that's back from the March announcement where they gave the three so the titles. Reason why the reason why this news update doesn't have a PC release date is because that'll come along when the localization happens. All right, I get it now. So it will have a PC release, but the Western date is still undated. So therefore, the PC release is undated. Gotcha. We did also get some more details on Neo: The World Ends with You. However, like we're kind of at the marketing cycle of this game where they're really drip feeding. Obviously, the releases at the end of the month. We've already had like specific uh, press releases for like, here are the characters, here are the Reapers, here's how the pins work or whatever. Here's Turf Wars. And now we've got uh, team battles, side quests and more pins. So like, I don't know if you guys who have played the original game uh, can glean anything that's really like worth talking about in this most recent update. I think the most interesting thing is the uh the how coco appears in this game who was introduced in the remix version of the first game in the extra chapter so wait a minute Hmm? wait a minute josh did they actually adapt the new content in the anime i never finished the anime (laughs) i think they did but they probably did they They probably probably did did. yeah from the from the endings i saw on twitter uh there's which from the same I thought, as I game, like five, I'm still like five episodes left on it because I just kind of fell off of it. But I yeah, because I remember people 
Yeah, I remember people saying with the pacing was going that they weren't sure if they were actually going to adapt the like Switch like story, and obviously yeah, they sure did because. I mean, it makes sense that they they must have because they were saying that oh well, Neo Twelve um, is literally a sequel to the anime, not so much the game. So if they're referencing stuff from the Switch version, they they had they had to have adapted it. But it's I like, do wonder. Uh, I do wonder if they if they uh, if they have Coco's old design from Final Remix in the anime, or if they use the, if they use the new design from Neo in it. I guess well, that's my question. the they specifically mention in like the press pack that they sent out that she's changed her look basically so it's like intentional that she looks different okay. why who knows maybe it's just so like neku doesn't recognize her that's not a spoiler so, i don't know anything about the game but i don't know i just looked up and yeah like the anime missed out the last episode was i, th- I think like nearly two weeks ago now and there hasn't been another episode since and it was the ending for the first game which is weird really weird like I'm more. I feel like I'm more likely to be wrong than they would be to miss out a whole section that was introduced purposefully through the Switch. All right, I will try to finish the anime before next podcast, and I'll let you know. I'll I'll take the hit. I guess. All right. This is the cross that Josh must bear. Yeah, must watch anime. Uh. (laughs) But yeah, we've got a bunch of details about some like some of the minor characters in the game, the imprinting system. um, Maybe some of the other. The other interesting part about this update is that there are team battles which seem to allow you to have six people in battle and i know some people saw this and immediately like immediately were thinking wow there's two more party members in the game besides the four they've already shown holy uh, cow but it seems like that points in the game where you'll have like six different pins to choose from rather than four we'll see so you think it's not new party members it doesn't seem like it. I'd be just surprised, okay. but um, well, I have it's theory. only in like this team battle. It's only in like this team battle context. So, hmm. yeah. but yeah. So the, the obviously the demo had released and it's coming out at the end of the month. So we'll actually be able to talk about this game for real and not too long. But yeah, if you're if you're itching for more details, they have released a ton each every each and every week practically. So you can dig through to your heart's content. Ciao. I'm glad you're still here because here's our chance to talk about Genshin Impact. 2.0. It's launching on July 21st. Adds a new city, adds three new characters. It adds some like cross save. I'm not sure about cross play functionality. Seems like a really, really big update. How do you feel about it? Uh-huh. Well, I think this is the update that everyone was waiting for, but I don't know. It came a little bit late, in my opinion, but I'm excited. I feel like this update has been rumored for like five, 30 years since Genshin came out. You know, this is kind of funny. You know, since like the when the game first came out, there was leaks that the next patch will have this included. <laughs> it turns out we waited a, nearly a year for it to happen. Jesus Christ, dude. I'm so glad I'm so like done with that game, but yeah, this is the this is the next this is like the if if Mondstadt and Liyue were like the first two regions in uh in the launch version, I don't I don't this is like the next big big like permanent addition with inazuma there's like the third region for real now that won't go away right but it's also yeah it won't go away but we also don't get to fully explore it yet it's gonna be like half of it then you have to wait for like patch before you get to explore the whole thing i think that's how it goes wait they're they're releasing it as a half region that's what i heard but Uh, i can't i can't confirm it completely but i just heard it's like like from the Chinese leaks, you don't even get to explore the whole thing yet, right? But 
Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm actually reading right now. So like, in the, in the press release says the Inazuma area consists of six main islands and series of islets scattered across the ocean. Blah blah blah. You may visit this shrine or the this island, and then and then the very next thing says with version 2.0 we are only releasing three of the six main islands of Inazuma, and then there are more islands uh, and locations with sceneries, distinct scenery, story secrets, in like future updates. So you are correct. That's insane. But yeah, um, so yeah, it's exciting, but at the same time, it's like, man, I wish this could have come sooner. But then again, uh, well, we, we don't work in game development, so we don't know what's behind the scenes, right? Right, but you would hope that this is like, uh, okay, tell me about characters. Are, are they finally adding um, Ayaka into the game? The, the yes, one we are. Yami. Okay. We have Ayaka, then we have basically characters from Honkai Impact, like their incarnations in Genshin. Oh, so, that's okay. So, so we got Shogun, which is basically Mei from Honkai Impact. Even got the same voice actress uh, for the Japanese version, which is uh, Miyuki Sawashiro. And then you have uh, Ye, which is uh, Ye Miko, which is also in Honkai Impact, and she's voiced by uh, Ayane Sakura. So, you know, it's like same same voice actor, you know, same same appearance kind of, you know, they they're all there. But but, but like the the lore is like they're still d- different, right? They're not it's Yeah, not they're, like... they're, they're they're the part of Genshin version. It's not going to be like, oh, they just came from Honkai to to incorporate the lore. No, this is their this is their version, right? Okay. And and, and, then, and then I guess in, on the Honkai set uh and the things they have like, like a Genshin collab going on right now. It's not yeah. like it's not canon, but it's just a, a thing for them. Yeah, and their other side. What, what's so funny in the Honkai side is like they have Kaching, but in the Honkai version, she plays like like maybe like ten times stronger. It's like someone like wailed like a million dollars on this version or something. You know, it's like no. <laughs> but it's like you don't get to play like something like that in the Genshin version. No All crazy right, if, combos. If you if you somehow roll Ayaka uh, in Genshin, I, I'm borrowing your account. Don't worry. I, I could put my entire faith that I will get Ayaka, no problem. Now, are you playing... What do you normally play on, Chow? I PC? play on PC. I, I do have the game installed on my phone, but I tried it on my phone, and I'll be like, man, these controls are terrible and awkward. I can't do it. The reason, the reason why I ask is because also along 2.0 is DualSense controller, like haptic feedback, only for... They only mention the PS5 version. I know like more and more PC versions are like adding it kind of after the fact for... For other games, like the Metro games did it. Uh, but no, they only mentioned PlayStation 5 DualSense controller feedback support. So um, there, one of the biggest news with the crossplay is now you can share your account between PSN and stuff. But there's a lot of loopholes and stuff that you have to worry about. Like if you yeah, try to play on the PlayStation, it's like, wow, there's a PlayStation exclusive item. But you play on the PlayStation, this item it only works on the PlayStation. If you go back to PC, it automatically turn off, you know? Are there are there like mm-hmm. re- like weird restrictions to that? Like especially with like gem count. Like if you uh, cross save with like say PSN to PC, will they they take away like your paid gems or your free gems or whatever? Like you know, I, you know, I don't know, but because uh... like there there are some like account transferring things. It's like several gotcha games. Like if you go from iOS to Android, like it'll affect your like in game currency count because you're transferring uh it. and it's like it's on a per game basis as well there's no consistent yeah, that, that system i don't know but from other gacha games i played when you play on a different ecosystem you go back to zero so but i don't know how it works on genshin because it hasn't went live yet so 
I, I, I guess I'm just like of like uh, skimming through this uh, too. I think uh, one of the interesting things about this, like unlike puzzles in the previous regions, in Azuma's puzzles, they say don't require you to have a character in your team who can use specific elemental powers in order to solve the puzzle. So it's it's I less reliant. I think that's good because it's kind of annoying to do like a really simple puzzle and you had to go to your character screen to swap your characters, which takes about 20 seconds, but it makes it really annoying. You know, this puzzle is simple. Yeah, I remember doing that. It's like, but sometimes in the end, it's like, I don't even want to do this puzzle because I'm too lazy to swap to a different character, right? Right. Well, uh, yeah, best of luck to whatever the Yaka banner hits and uh, I, I, don't you, worry buddy. Josh I, I got I got this I, I'm you only 20 it. rolls away from pity and I got like 120 rolls saved up so are you doing it for Ayaka or Yoimiya you know Yoimiya has a good voice actress too yeah she's a uh, kind of yeah she's got Rin from the Fate series so yeah. or uh, Rachel from Blast Blue so it's quite it's quite the thing right She's uh she's she's just a top uh I, I always remember as a top uh North American Gundam player. Yeah. So. <laughs> one of the best. Apparently. One of the best. And I don't know, maybe she'll end up like uh like the traveler, uh Oyoki, who ended up wailing in this game super hardcore and got to AR sixty before everyone else. Oh Jesus Christ. Dear yeah, God. I'm not even AR sixty. <laughs> Apparently she is. God damn, dude. The next game on the list is something that I wasn't expecting to talk about this soon, but I guess we got some details on it out of the blue. I mean, it seems out of the blue to me. I'm talking about Assassin's Creed. So obviously, uh, we talked actually relatively recently about Valhalla because Adam was kind of late to it and was able to share his late thoughts on it. And that game is obviously still getting updates. And that is kind of the thesis about what we're going to be talking about next, because we got some details from the horse's mouth at Ubisoft about the uh, future of the Assassin's Creed series and that is assassin's creed infinity so there were some like rumor mongering about this title from the from the from the usual suspects but then i guess in order to get ahead of rumors and actually like nail down what it is uh uh, basically a blog post on the ubisoft website basically details exactly what is assassin's creed uh infinity so i'm not going to read through the full blog post i'm only going to read this one relevant section so here we go Rather than continuing to pass the baton from game to game, we profoundly believe this is an opportunity for one of Ubisoft's most beloved franchises to evolve in a more integrated and collaborative manner that is less centered on studios, and more centered, and more focused on talent leadership, no matter where they are within Ubisoft, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it seems like what it's going to be is that Assassin's Creed Infinity forever. This is going to be like the new platform, like really platform, no longer shuffling from title to title from region to region. Assassin's Creed Infinity will basically have a studio behind it. And they talk a little bit about like the development of the, of the collaboration, the cross studio, the team behind it, all the, all the creative minds behind it. Blah, blah, blah. You can read the, the, the post if you're interested in it. About how Assassin's Creed Infinity will be the platform for this franchise going forward. So basically, it is going into the deep end, into truly live service like think destiny or think even your favorite mmo it just it seems like where it's going so. yay, <laughs> yay. yay. <laughs> um also i want to mention that uh steven totello from axios he he just put together a plot from how long to beat for all the assassin's creed titles and it's kind of you know it's not really surprising but it's it's to see it so pl- 
plainly put out in front of you. Like like the first three or four Assassin's Creed talk, 30 hours and 40 hours, 50 hours, which is not short, but it's like, okay, for a completionist, those are those are sensible times. Somewhat right? digestible. Digestible. Yeah, yeah. For like a completionist and not not just mainline. And then like for start like origins, it's like ninety hours, hundred hours, hundred and thirty yeah. hours. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh <laughs> um, So this just this is just the, the next logical step, George, okay? Because the, the game's already long as fuck already. What if they just made it the, the infinite? Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Everyone yeah. wants that. Yeah, I mean, it, unfortunately, just it just makes the most sense, especially when you take a look at their trajectory. Instead of like taking risk after risk after risk on each big project and like just dumping resources and then crossing their fingers, it'll be a mega hit. They just want something more stable, uh, like established, uh, like a, a foundation. I'm sure they already done all the math behind the scenes of like, okay, as long as we retain this many many users with this project, it'll be smooth sailing. Like. I think oh. Jason Schreier, who originally basically leaked this before Ubisoft confirmed it, he made the comparison to Take Two and how Grand Theft Auto Online makes a yeah. lot of money and yeah. they, they want some of that pie. Uh, if they think they believe they can get some player base, even if it's not like the full player base, but some player base that will do Assassin's Creed Infinity and basically endlessly spend money on it in terms of financials that might be good for the company whether it's good for the brand who knows you know it's a different argument i, I do want to be a little bit careful the uh, the blog post specifically tries to avoid some of the naming from like specifically calling like this is the live service going forward they use the language like we're no longer passing the baton you know they're very like poetic about it but then if you read like the Bloomberg report, which is not all represented in the official blog post, that's when they get to the details about like they're targeting the Fortnite model or, or whatever. Right. So, oh, that was, that was so, Jason Schreier's comparison. Obviously, Ubisoft's not going to say we want to be like Fortnite, right? But Right. Okay, so what I, what I, I want to want from this, if they're going to do this, is we better have like the tower like in Destiny 2. And then I want Zavala, actually Zavala in Assassin's Creed Infinity, be like, go like, Guardian, do you want to visit Jerusalem? Do you want to visit London? <laughs> that's what China? I'm going to no, do this. No way. We're still not doing that one. <laughs> I, I actually remember thinking when we were talking about Valhalla, I was saying, like, the next one will be the one I'll jump in on because they'll really have their feet under them. And I'm like, oh. uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, well, like, you can't back out of that uh, now. This is you. No, I, I actually can, and I will. This is uh, the Assassin's Creed 76 for you. I just felt like they, you know, they they obviously did like this trio of games and this new RPG paradigm. I'm like, all right, they they've kind of they've kind of you know established what that is. So the next thing will be something really like that'll be the jumping on point. And I guess they're kind of thinking the same thing too, but just in a different way. So I I do play live service games. I play MMOs, and like I've played games that are like right on the hairy edge, like Monster Hunter World. It's kind of like just about a live service game, for at least for a year and a half or so. Um, and so like, I've enjoyed those sorts of games, but I'm just like, I'm not interested in that in like these games that are already gigantic just to be like a huge, I, I don't want this. I don't want this to be like my second life or whatever. And I mean that in both ways sort of thing. So yeah, maybe it'll be so really cool. I don't know. So basically what you're saying is, is that you would rather play an MMO rather than a diet MMO, which is what live service games are. Yeah, yeah maybe. Or, or, yeah. Or, or games that like you can get something out of it with short bursts of like time where you like like new genesis you don't have to put in ton of t- ton of time in to like catch up to what that game has so far um 
and that's but kind of so far that, that, that'll that'll be that'll be that'll change like in five years time where it's like wow there's too much fucking content like in yeah like, let's, we'll say PS, let's say pso2 for the base pso2 when it got localized last year they put out eight years worth nine years worth of content in one year you know yeah but to know that it's going to be like this much content going forward forever and i'm using forever like in italics just like i don't know it doesn't interest me I, I imagine so this will be like PSO two, you know. I mean, it'll probably launch somewhat slim, probably maybe twenty to thirty hours. Then they're gonna build. Up, up I don't know that. if Ubisoft has like five thousand people working on it or whatever. I bet it'll launch with a with a billion things to do, just like the other Assassin's Creed titles. I don't know. A few of the other news posts uh, from this from this week are a little bit smaller, like some videos that were revealed, some a few a uh, few other little things. Uh, we'll just kind of go through these quickly to wrap things up here. Uh, Obviously, we already talked about the upcoming sequel to the RGG Studio spinoff Judgment, Lost Judgment. We got the opening movie for it, as well as some like, you know, pre-order bonuses and details and things like that. Um, yeah. there's, there's, say that again? Early access. Oh, yeah. I was actually just about to go there. Like, Sega is still doing this thing where if you do the digital deluxe edition, you get three-day early access in case you, like, must must start on the 21st instead of the 24th or whatever it, to me this is like that's such a weird thing to put the thing on to put like as a pre-order bonus but i i guess it must work otherwise they wouldn't do it but um yeah it's just uh, you know, like, expo- exploiting people's like you know desire to be first you know it's just it, it makes I'm, money for them it's just it's that's the way it is i yep. mean sega's outright said or at least uh, pr for sega's outright said on our own discord server that uh, people pay for it so yeah I mean, that's, hey, if it, more more power to them if, if people are, are buying into it. You know, um, I guess the 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 main takeaway for me uh, with all the Lost Judgment news lately is, I'm 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 a little bummed out that the opening movie for Lost Judgment isn't as good as the one that they did for the first Judgment, which was just fantastic with the song by Alexandros and the whole sequence looked like a the opening to like a, a crime drama you'd see on TV. Um, this is a bit more. Uh, modern a modern a, take take on it it's not as uh, antique uh, i guess it's kind of it's hard like to put it in words yeah it's like it's like lots of slow shots with lots of like altered colors lots of like panning shots or like just character profiles just and i mean like the profile of the character like the like the Very song is something great i really i really like the song yeah uh, it, it's good but just the the way it's presented is it feels dull in comparison to how judgment just kind of knocked it out of the park and it's like wow, yeah. the, uh, this uh, that, that's what like Judgment's opening is one of those. It's like it got, it grabs your attention immediately. It's like oh, this is interesting. Even though there's not a lot of much going on in it, it's just not just introducing the characters. It it was a very it's going for more for a feel, uh, more more for like uh, what am I trying to say? It, it just really grabs you. It's very striking. Yeah, and where this one's more mellow and it's more just it's more it's more like tone setting, I guess, but it's. But it's slower as a result. And we're we're going to stay on this track talking about opening movies because we also got one. And this one was a, a bit more highly anticipated for Tales of Arise. And uh, highly anticipated because even like the publisher Bandai Namco is really pushing into like revealing who the who was doing the song. And then obviously it's got the ephotable uh, uh, art behind it that has done so many of these series and have so many people like even in our own discord channel at rpg site people talking about their favorites and least favorites about previous entries in the series what would tales of arises look like uh it uses the song hibana by kankaku piero 
And uh, I feel like reactions to this opening animation were a bit lukewarm. I, I don't know if it's the song or the animation itself, but uh, people watched it and think people generally liked it, but no one was immediately marking it as like one of their favorites. Yeah, I think the more you listen to the song, at least a Japanese song, I think it's catchy. They did um, the similar, uh, the, the, like, it kind of, it's kind of weird what Bandai Namco does with the Tales of Rise openings in terms of like the Japanese version and then the international version. Sometimes they do it like Tales of the Abyss where they have the Japanese bass song, but then for the Western version, they replace the vocals with just like guitar riffs. And the result um, was terrible. But then you have things like uh, White Wishes uh, for Tales of Graces F, where they have a Japanese uh, opening, and then they have, uh, uh, for the English version, they have the actual English lyrics from the same composer, which is what they did here. Kankaku Piero, this Japanese rock band, has also done like an English version of this song for this, for obviously the English audience and whatnot, which is... I, I don't think this song is necessarily bad like in both versions, but I think the mixing on it is, a weir- is weird, like where the instrumentals drown out their vocals. I think if their yeah. vocals popped out a little bit more, I think it would be more striking. Um but I think that remind the me. I don't, I don't know. Why, I, I don't know why I'm asking Adam this, but the Tales of the Vesperia Definitive Edition. That's another one where the opening has the same artist Bonnie Pink singing it in Japanese and English. And if no, I remember right, the definitive version, version the definitive edition doesn't allow. Doesn't it cycle through both? You can I remember. believe if you wait, I believe like in the English version of the definitive edition, when you open it up, boot it up, it'll play you the English version of the song. And then if you wait on the title screen and it replays it, then it'll play the Japanese version. So yeah, I was pretty sure that both are contained here. But as of right now, it seems like this hasn't been obviously confirmed, confirmed because the game's not out yet. But it's like if you're getting this in an English speaking country in the West, you get the English version of Hibana Japanese. You get the Japanese version for me, like the, the Vesperia opening. I actually really like in both languages. But Hibana, I just think sounds way better in English. I don't think the vocalist is or sorry, it sounds better in Japanese. I don't think the vocalist, the vocals come out as clearly in English. Um, but it's not e- even in either version. It's not my favorite opening. I think obviously it looks nice. And one of the things they've been marketing for this game is that supposedly it's going to have more animation throughout the story than other games, which might only have it at like the start end and maybe one scene in the middle. They're, they're supposed to be like weighing that more heavily for Arise. But I think that's kind of a weird thought because Arise looks so nice because it's got like all of the they've had, they've spent so much development time on it relative to back when the series was pretty much annualized that I'm almost wishing like the game looks nice enough as it is I don't really need more of the anime art but obviously there's a preference thing there for some people might really like Ifotable's work and you get get an opportunity to see more of it throughout the game at key story moments could be a plus for many people but hey man sometimes it saves games like Little Witch Academia where the only thing really good about it is the trigger cutscenes so you never it's know it's more expensive perhaps but like if you could have like the few scenes, like Scarlet Nexus has like an animated opening and nothing else. But if it could have, I, I like the few Scarlet Nexus scenes that are like fully modeled cinematic scenes using the actual like rendered character models and environments. Those are expensive, but those can look really nice. And I like in an ideal world, I'd be nice. I think if like all cutscenes were done through that, rather than you know just slop slap in an animated scene here. But you know. Utotable does good work, so it's nice to have that if, if here and there. Yeah, if, you have, if your if your in game engine like looks that nice, like Scarlet Nexus and and Tales of Arise, like it'll it can benefit. But then for some games that like do it, like say there, there's like a few cutscenes like at the end of like Cold Steel Three and Cold Steel Four that like have like big battle scenes and like it looks terrible in the engine. Like, yeah, I wish this was just an animated cutscene. Yeah, well, people it's it's funny that we're movement. talking. 
or it's funny we're talking about JRPGs with like an engine cutscenes that are really good because you haven't gotten to it yet, Josh. And it's a shame that uh, Colin already had to hop off because he would back me up here. But some of the later game cutscenes in Monster Hunter Stories 2 are actually insanely good. Like, insanely good. Nice. So, um, and uh, the funny thing is, is that in the credits, uh, Mars Animation Planet is uh, credited for working on the cutscenes. And you can totally see it because there's like c- some cinematography to them. And uh, for people listening, uh, Mars Animation Planet is a studio that worked on, they've worked on a number of games, but they've also worked on 3D CG anime films. They, for um, the most notably and most recently, they were par- um, hands-on with the Lupin the Third, the first uh, anime film. Oh no, shit, huh? That that that's that studio. That looks really good. I kind of watch it. By the way, I looked it up. Apparently, in definitive edition, based on your uh, language selection, depend changes which opening plays. So it'd be I, cool I if Arise through. was the same way. Yeah, it'd be cool if Arise was the same way, but there's nothing to suggest that that's how they're doing it. So we'll see. And then you also have a footnote on here about the Tales of, I believe, 25th anniversary opening movie Blu-ray collection. Yes. So what is it about this? The the theme song of Tales 25th anniversary opening uh, movie collection Blu-ray is uh, coming out uh, this December. I think I mentioned it on a podcast like a few weeks ago when it was first announced. It's basically a, a collection of all the previous Tales games and their opening movies on one Blu-ray. And I assume this will remaster like or have much, much better, higher quality versions of like the earlier Tales games, like Fantasia, Destiny, Eternia. Like those opening movies are still stuck on their native systems, like on the PS1, that like still don't have like a really great quality like version of them. So a lot of the ones you see on the internet either have to be like upscaled in a weird way or like just very blurry. I was actually looking up Eternia's opening um, like a few days ago, and it's either like the PS1 rip or like from the PSP version, and it's just like there's no other they're all they're all understand it still just like this isn't like a really good quality opening yeah. like just from the fidelity standpoint yeah and then to like some of them like on uh, like when they first initially uh showed off the list of recorded titles you know they're actually going to go through the length of like uh both the gamecube and ps2 versions of symphonia will be on it or the both the T- uh, ds and vita version of innocence will be on it as well so that's kind of like one of my the, the things i'm really like excited about uh is just having much better quality versions of them. So as part of like the live stream for uh, Tales when they were showing off the opening movie for Arise and whatnot, was they're actually adding more series uh, into this Blu-ray collection they're releasing uh, this December uh, with Tales of Link, Tales of Asteria, Tales of the Rays, Tales of Crystoria, and Tales of Arise. So basically all the mobile entries, uh, all the mobile Tales games, Plus, Arise will also be in this collection, making it like a very like definitive collection for Tales of opening movies, which are you know the, it's kind of a dumb thing, but at the same time, like the Tales of games are very consistent about like showing like really great opening movies, and that's kind of like the appeal of them to uh, a lot. And it's, it's of nice that it's comprehensive rather than like oh, it doesn't include Arise because Arise was releasing the same year and they couldn't get it. Like no, they're making sure to have it in there and have all yeah. the different things for the mobile games or whatever. Yeah, and then it's also really like good for the mobile games as well because they're no longer stuck on the mobile platform and whatever their native resolutions were on that and like some of these mobile games have been running for years i've had multiple openings like asteria had like six openings and raise 
as uh, as at four right now and they all correspond like different arcs that they they got story arcs that they've gone through over the years and whatnot so i'm like weirdly enough you know i'm I'm dumb i'm stupid i I pre-ordered this collection when it finally came up on amazon japan it's like 80 to 90 dollars i'm like whatever dude i've uh, it just it's just nice to have a comprehensive collection of these things and hopefully they have like much much clearer versions of like early tales games openings because that'd be awesome to see like i'm even though like the tales of series is like the most consistent like game like quality wise for me in terms of, like gameplay and like what i love about them the opening movies are like some of like, the things that i like the most out of the tales games mm-hmm The last three notes on here should go pretty quickly. Uh, we finally got a release window for this Spiders game, Steel Rising. It is coming out June 2022, so June of next year, basically a year from now. Uh, it's only a very short new trailer that they released alongside this release window announcement, uh, showing some gameplay for the really some extended gameplay for the first time. Uh, the last time we talked about this game, back during the E3 time, was I, I wasn't really feeling it. And unfortunately, that really hasn't changed. It's hard to glean details from the gameplay that they've shown, but I'm looking at it, and my my initial like off-the-cuff feedback is that's a Souls-like. It looks like they're really kind of like maybe maybe late to the party in a, in a few ways, but it feels like that based on the gameplay that they've shown, the camera angle, the way the animations look between the player and the enemy, that could be what they're going for. Obviously, it's not definitive. Obviously, you're trying to extrapolate from a very small amount of footage. But that's sort of what I see with this uh, Steel Rising game. So I don't know if you had any other comments on it, Adam, because I think you're the only one uh, else here that's interested in this. Yeah, it, I don't really have a great positive reaction. It's hard to describe it in words, you know, but like the 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 impact, the force behind swings and whatnot, it just it doesn't feel right or it doesn't look right to me. Um, it does. I, I, it does seem to be like a stamina, souls-like system. Um, so we'll see. But honestly, yeah, I, I, I skipped through all. it. Uh, yeah, I, I saw it earlier. I, I totally agree with you. Like the weapon impact just isn't there. That's kind of a big thing for these kinds of games. It's just it, they really need to tighten that up. If they really wanted to just look appealing, I guess. It's, so it's the weird though. Greedfall because... is that the the most interesting part of Greedfall, like Greedfall, had serviceable combat. It was like this, you know, melee hybrid magic, some trapping mix. It was fine. But the the strength of Greedfall is more so like the quest writing and and the characters and kind of the world and things like that, and not so much its combat. But with Steel Rising, we haven't seen a lot of that. Like. It, this is still More far weird. off, right? Yeah, this is still next June. It's next so June, so it's but it just I'm not as interested in the game because the premise isn't as interesting to me. Like mm. when you have like Greedfall, it's like okay, you have it's like a colonial setting. Um, you have different factions with you know some factions are pure pure basically evil colonial factions, but then you have like different sets sects of people and different like views of the world and like this plague that's that's basically the conflict that has to be solved and it's it, that's like the interesting part of the game and then here it's like we just haven't heard enough in terms of you're you're an automaton robot thing you're in like the french revolution you're like appointed by the ro the monarchy like you're like a soldier for the king which automatically makes you like am i the baddie <laughs> or whatever uh but also like uh greedfall when it when it came out um it 
it, a lot, they, it invoked a lot of comparisons to Bioware. Like right. you might say, like it was a poor man's Bioware or whatever. But it seems like that that was their strength. Like that's what a lot of people thought they were like getting out of this game that Bioware wasn't providing. Where now it seems like, nope, we're going to focus on making this an action RPG through and through. And it's like, well, that wasn't the strength of the first. Of, I know they're not related games, but like, it's like, okay, that just seems like not the reason people played Greedfall. And I know like they have all their games, like the Technomancer or whatever, but it's just the, this, this was not the reason people like, I, if I was to suggest Greedfall to someone, it's not because I thought the combat was amazing. The combat is and then great. Still Rise, yeah, yeah the, and Steel Rising just seems like here's a potential Souls-like or at least an action RPG that all we've really seen is combat and a few premise things. So, yeah, I don't want to like poison the well before it comes out, but it's like, it's just like, unfortunately I'm just like, I was really excited to see like what is spiders working on next. They're like a European studio that I thought really hit above their weight. Uh, you know, when the came out and now I'm just like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling this. So, yeah, I mean, they had this, the still next year, stop a lot of time. So we'll see if it, yeah. yeah. All right. And no more Debbie downer. It'll be great. The next time we see it. <laughs> okay. okay. Two tiny other footnotes. Uh, Pre-registration is now open for Konosuba, God's Blessing on this Wonderful World, Fantastic Days. Yes, that's the whole title. Uh, This is the mobile game that originally released early last year in Japan, uh, releasing sometime later this year in the West. That's the version you can pre-register for. Uh, Nexon is the publisher. Yeah, the uh, asterisk is. Yeah, the asterisk asterisk is is, uh, Nexon is publishing it, so uh, user beware. Yeah, so uh, the typical sort of pre-registration stuff where there's, you know, giveaways if you sign up, you know, a few lottery uh, winning some Razer hardware and stuff like that. Uh, Maybe you get some more roles in game. I'm not sure. I don't play these things, (laughs) but you can pre-register. It's coming out later this year, Uh, but we don't have a date yet. A surprisingly busy month for like mobile game releases in the West, like Atelier Online just recently came out with some weird. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, Did you see the localization for that? I've seen some screenshots. That's uh... literally the very first line in the game has a very noticeable typo. It's, it looks oh, great. Awesome. It looks amazing. Um, there's also like Punishing Gray Raven, which people seem to rave about uh, with videos and whatever hands on they've gotten with it, and uh, Near Reincarnation. So it seems to be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for people, for people in that space, there seems to be stuff. Just, uh... coming out. Just a very busy month in general. Not even just mobile <laughs> games. It's like yep. for v- for VN fans, especially if you're on Switch. Like, there's the Silver Case. There's a Great Ace Attorney Chronicles coming out in a yep. few weeks. For RPG fans, like Story Two just came out. Their East Nine on PC and Switch just came out. Uh, we've got you know, the World um, Ends with World Ends with You that's coming out. Mm-hmm. We've got Fuga Melodies of Steel, though less people probably care about that. They should, but. Should I agree? I I really want to play that. Um, but yeah, just so many games coming out, and Chris Tales, Chris Tales also is coming yep. out. Even so, it's like just really busy yeah. month. Level five is alive on what? the level five website. They are listing positions, hiring for a new project such as game director, producer, programmer, three D character designer, and more. Wait, 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 wait. Josh, hmm? you're the person that has a pulse on the mobile scene. You're telling me you didn't hear about what happened? With oh yeah, level five, yeah, level five. The 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 hit uh, makers of uh, not makers, but the ones who uh, licensed out uh, you know, the station. Yeah, the the Nino Kuni Crossroads, the mobile. MMO that uh, seemed to have no chance, and yet it's like exploding in China at the moment. I think 
Like it just it's doing so well financially. Literally a mega hit. It it grossed over a hundred million dollars in ten days. Is it a good because game of the Chinese the market? Yep. Yeah. So apparently people really like like it, love it. I don't I don't know much about it, but it's uh good, I guess. Is that <sighs> keeping level five alive right now? I mean, I guess. <laughs> level five and by extension, uh concept, live another day. So surely this time though you're gonna finish Ushiro, right? Right. That's that's a joke, yeah. Uh, yeah, so so some of the job descriptions on Level 5's website, it's really hard to glean from these, but they're like experience for games for smartphones, experience for games with simulation and AI programming, map gimmicks, dungeons, towns, fields, plants. So seems like it is like a mobile game RPG with some open world elements, but hard to really glean exactly what they're doing. They do also list uh, in the map designer post experience developing for consoles such as PS3, PS4, Wii U. Nintendo 3 I, I wonder why specifically call out at the moment is can we expect anything from level 5 to be localized? <laughs> yep. That's, that's always a, a consideration, but I guess they are hiring for a new project, but yeah, so I guess I'll find out Megaton is... Musashi, right? Like that that's their next thing is Megaton Musashi and then whenever that comes out, when it, if the, I, I guess we'll find out if that gets localized through what avenue will that get localized? Zabby's purportedly no longer a thing, so Right. Yeah, because Level 5 had previously said that um, they have no plans for more Western releases other than the stuff they've already announced. And the stuff they've already announced is kind of like the Inazuma 11 game has like, been continuously delayed or it's in some sort of like development hell of some sort. Technically, uh, so... Yokai Watch was announced. Yep. So if we can believe what Josh says, there's like no record of this ever, ever happening. It happened, but they were like, hey, no, no video, no pictures. I've seen it with my own eyes. I swear I wasn't <laughs> sleeping during that. I've seen look, it. Look, if if it's a delusion that Josh is having, it is a shared delusion because I've definitely met other people that say that they were in that room when it was announced. Maybe, maybe we were all drugged or something <laughs> during that conference. There's something in the air. <laughs> so, yeah, probably won't be following up on this one anytime soon. But hey, whenever we do get the chance, we'll be like, remember when we saw these job listings? <laughs> this is what it is leading to. So keep this in the Speaking back. Speaking of back, level back, five, though, Nino Kuni 2 is getting a port like in, a, in September. That's the switch port. Is that, oh, did that not come out yet? Oh, no, it's in September. Weird. I thought that already came out. Nope. <laughs> But yeah, we had a we had a we, yeah we had a bunch of cool uh, talks about East, about Final Fantasy, about Monster Hunter, and then uh, obviously all the news that came out it took a little bit longer than anticipated to go through, but it was really cool to see all the different perspectives of all the different types of games, including Watch Dogs and Fallout. We had to squeeze those in there to, just to keep us honest. But yeah, we talked about the features that are up on the site, like the um, the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster, uh, what's in these and what's isn't, the uh, the East Nine port impressions from adam and the the guides for monster hunter stories too you can always visit us on twitter twitter.com slash rpg site we're also on facebook and instagram you can join us on our discord uh discord.com slash rpg site where we've been talking still have a pretty active room about scarlet nexus and talking about all the other games that are coming out uh lots of talk about tales in the recent couple days people comparing favorite openings and things like that we're seemingly here every week so thank you so much for listening. Take care, and we'll see you next time.